No portion of this program may be reproduced without the express permission of WQAM Miami Fort Lauderdale. WQM. George is back with us. Why better flip yo, over yo. a new schedule here? Aren't you flip excited it. to be back to work? Thrilled like you don't even know. And with all the rain and the wind, George's oh, house geez. is blowing away. Everything's blown away then. Pavilions. But it's all moving offshore now. I looked on the radar just to make you feel Oh, better. yeah, great. I Sunny thought and beautiful here. Yeah, Spring has finally sprung. Oh! Whoa, in the 50s every day here. It's beautiful. Isn't that great? Sure, whatever you say. You don't like that, Sunny, in the mid-50s? Oh, yeah, oh. I like it, but it's just uh, that's not what it's doing here. Well, too bad. See, now we're getting even for the wintertime. Chuck Heston is dead. What are we going to do? And, of course, the media. Oh, my God. You people all belong in prison. All of you. Even Fat Candy Cowley. Man, oh, man, they are just sick. Now, last night, in fact, they had one hour of it, I think on Wednesday night, which I watched on CNN, this uh, special report on the assassination Mm -hmm. of Martin Luther King, and hosted by the brilliant journalist Soledad (laughs) O'Brien. Oh, my God. That's who that told me right off the bat how good it was going to be. And it had potential. I mean, they told some interesting things, and they pointed out some interesting things, and then uh, it went nowhere. So I watched the whole two hours last night, and at the end of the two hours, it uh, went nowhere. And she said, And this petty thief, could he have done it? And, of course, we know he did. Yeah, sure we do. 
They spent two hours basically mostly debunking the uh, idea that he killed Martin Luther King. And then, um, but there are so many unanswered questions. It was so poorly done. Like if he didn't, if he had nothing to do with it and he didn't fire the shots, then why did he flee from Memphis? Why did he like a vamoose? Why did he come to Toronto and then go on to London and go on to, yeah, all of these. All of these things. Lots of unanswered questions and uh, no answers. I'm not expecting that they would have solved it last night there on the show, but at least uh, come up with something a little more substantive. But they didn't do it because they had that brilliant journalist, Soledad, was uh, doing this report. Soleil, well, Soledad. And Saturday night, your buddy Ricky Tiki Sanchez was hyperventilating about that. Oh, boy. Uh, about those polygamists in Texas, you know? Uh-huh. Hyperventilating. Blah, 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 blah. If they ever do another uh, remake on Dracula, man, he'd be perfect. Blah, 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 blah. It's the media for you. So anyway, now, of course, the new thing is, although I'm not seeing that much about it, I would have thought they would have peed all over him a little bit more. Maybe they're too embarrassed. Holy Moses, baby. Chuck Heston is dead at 84. Let's have a party. <laughs> Who's the last person that died and we said, let's have a party? Well, not that long ago. Oh, it was uh, William Matt Buckley. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, birds of a feather. Mm-hmm. Right-wingers of a feather act strange yeah, together. Dead together. Oh, and they're talking about how Chuck Heston was a great civil rights worker. and he, Well, you know, he went uh, off, the, he, off the tracks a little later on. Whatever he did earlier, he more than made up for it later <laughs> on with his uh, yeah. NRA fanaticism. And nobody is mentioning the fact that Michael Moore made a total jackass out of him with his... Um, polyester pants in Bowling for Columbine. I haven't seen, I haven't read it, I haven't seen anything about it. They don't mention that. Too embarrassing. Too embarrassing, the fact that he made a fool out of himself. You son of a bitch. Yeah. Charlton Esther won the 59 Best Actor Oscar as the chariot racing Ben-Hur and portrayed Moses. Michelangelo, El Cid, and other heroic figures in the movie epics of the 50s and 60s, has died. He was 84. The actor died Saturday night at his home in Beverly Hills with his wife Lydia at his side. Charlton Heston was seen by the world as larger than life. He was known for his chiseled jaw, broad shoulders, and resonating voice, and of course for the roles he played. And for that clip where he's saying, for my cold, dead hands, and he's holding that rifle up. Well, they're cold and dead now. I guess you can pull the rifle out. Heston's family said in a statement, no one could ask for a fuller life than his. No man could have given more to his family, to his profession, and to his country. For my cold, dead hands. Heston revealed in 2002 that he had symptoms consistent with Alzheimer's disease, saying, I must reconcile courage and surrender in equal measure. Isn't that interesting that two old uh, Hollywood hacks, Ronald Reagan and uh, Charlton Heston, two right-wing hacks, both died of the same thing. Isn't that interesting? Maybe the Lord works in mysterious ways. With his large, muscular build, well-boned face, and sonorous voice, Heston proved the ideal star during the period when Hollywood was filling movie screens with panoramas depicting the religious and historical and hysterical past. I have a face that belongs in another century, he often remarked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Publicist Michael Levine, who represented Heston for about 20 years, said the actor's passing represented the end of an iconic era for cinema. If Hollywood had a Mount Rushmore, Heston's face would be on it, Levine said. I thought more like his Rectum. ass would be on it. From my cold, dead hands. The actor assumed the role uh, of leader off-screen as well. He served as president of the Screen Actors Guild and chairman of the American Film Institute and marched in the civil rights movement of the 50s. With age, he grew more conservative and campaigned for conservative candidates. In 98, in June of 98, Heston was elected president of the National Rifle Association, for which he had posed for ads holding a rifle. He delivered a jab at then-President Clinton, saying, America doesn't trust you with our 21-year-old daughters, and we sure, Lord, don't trust you with our guns. 
Heston stepped down as NRA president April 2003, telling members his five years in office were quite a ride. I loved every minute of it. He never met a gun he didn't love. Later that year, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor. The largeness of character that comes across the screen has also been seen throughout his life, President Bush said at the time. That's Bush one. That crook. America has lost a great patriot. The Second Amendment has lost a faithful friend, said the lunatic Wayne LaPierre of the National Rifle Association. So have I, he said, and so four million NRA members and 80 million gun owners, and so is every American who cares about the Bill of Rights, individual liberty, and freedom. Don't F with our guns. Don't mess with our guns. Gosh dang it. Heston engaged in a lengthy feud with liberal Ed Asner during the latter's tenure as president of the Screen Actors Guild. His latter-day activism almost overshadowed his achievements as an actor, which were considerable. Heston led a strong presence in some of the most acclaimed and successful films of the mid-century. Ben-Hur won 11 Academy Awards, tying it for the record with the more recent Titanic and Lord of the Rings. Heston's other hits include The Ten Commandments, El Cid, 55 Days at Peking, Planet of the Apes, and Earthquake. He liked to cite the number of historical figures he had portrayed. Andrew Jackson in The President's Lady, The Buccaneer, Moses in The Ten Commandments, The Title Role of El Cid, John the Baptist, Greatest Story Ever Told, Michelangelo, The Agony and the Ecstasy. General Gordon, a cartoon. I wonder if he knew that Michelangelo was gay. That would have been bad. Mark Anthony, Julius Caesar, Anthony and Cleopatra, Cardinal Richelieu, the Three Musketeers, and Henry VIII, Prince of the Pauper. Film producer Hal Wallace, Casablanca, spotted Heston in the 50 TV production of Wuthering Heights, offered him a contract. When his wife reminded him they decided to pursue theater or TV, he replied, well, maybe just for one film to see what it's like. And it goes on and on and on. Dark City, this city. Oh, it's, it's it, there are like 8,000 pages of this. Do we care? No, let's just have I that don't. party and say screw it. Sure. He is dead. Chuck Heston. Senile, right-wing, insensitive old lunatic, a maniac. But nevertheless. I think what they ought to do in his honor is just show that clip of that interview with uh, Michael Moore and him from Bowling for Columbine. Just show it over and over again. And let you just show him waddling back into the house and closing the door in Michael Moore's face. Remember that? With his spandex pants? <laughs> I think he, was comparing, he was talking about the difference between Canadian and American culture. Remember that? What he was yeah. trying to say, this is the great civil rights marcher. Well, he had to change your heart, I guess. Because what he was really trying to say is, well, you know, in America we got so many more Schwarzers than they got up there, is what he was trying to say. But he didn't say that because that would have been bad. Here's the poll result from Friday. If I had the time, I would learn another language, 346. And look at the vote total on there, George, 2,980,000 votes. Wow. Well, on uh, whatever day it was, we had Zach had uh, at the end of the... Oh, it was April Fool's Day. Correct. Tuesday. So we had Eric put a million votes, tacked that on at the end of the show. So Josh Cordes on Friday, not to be outdone, of course, always wanting to one-up everybody else being the hot shot that he is. Oh, I want two million votes. <laughs> and Eric, of course, can do whatever we want. We had 980 votes. If I had the time, I'd learn another language, 346, to play an instrument, 208. More about investing, 96. More about history, 53. More about Jesus, 36. Scuba diving. About 30, man. How to program my cell phone, 28. Carpentry, 27. Like Jesus. How to play golf, 26. How to manage my anger, 24. Sign language, 20. Then you can communicate with George. That's right. The Quran, 18, to ride a motorcycle, 17, to play craft, 16, to drive a stick shift, 11, stick it, stick it in the ticket, to rollerblade, 9, to do my own taxes, 8, and to sing, 
Solamente siete. Only seven. Want to sing. Our poll today is, it is what it is. Thanks, Brandon. It's uh, not great. But it, at least it's a poll, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're starting to run. Although Charlie B is back, and he promised he's going to send you a whole bunch of polls today in his very uh, wounded and surly kind of uh, email that he sent me on MySpace on Thursday or Friday. Oh, gee, I just get back from two months, and the first thing I hear, you're ripping me an ass. Yeah, that, that poll about sandwich fillings, man, that was good. Not as good as which got the best burger in town. I think Footsie is still doing that, I believe. You know, Tootsie Footsie? Well, you tell me. You're the only one that looks at that. Well, I do I mean, it because I want to make sure that he's still okay. Uh, I know. You know. Tootsie Footsie with the red nose. You should send your well, thank you card. after 10 at 560 WQAM, we got the Jerk Show at 2 this afternoon, Mad Dog 4 until 650. At 650, we got first pitch with Jesse Agler, the Marlin pregame report for 10 minutes, 5 minutes of which are spots. 7 away, it's Dolphins All Access. And then 8 o'clock, you got your college hoops, the championship game. I bet you we're going to be tuned into that. Or maybe people who care will be watching it on TV. What do you think, Chris? Um, I'll... No. Let's take a look at today's poll, if we must. 
512 votes on there. It's another one of those Monday polls, man. They start out with a very low number on there. Chris, sorry, you're not going to make no thousand. Too bad. Oh, well. Blame it on the rain. <laughs> anyway, here's the poll. If you knew you were going to uh, die tomorrow, what would your last meal be? 512 votes. I like when we get to the salad. That's my favorite. <laughs> Just a little Just salad. Some kind of salad. Like a little, little Italian dressing. Steak, a big juicy steak, 129. Lobster, 110. Italian food, 60. Like like at the Bacchanal in uh, Caesar's Palace in Vegas, Ooh, you know, where they have yeah. that big Italian feast where there's like 80 tons of food. Oh, yeah. Like that. And the chicks pour wine in your mouth. Pizza, 50. Seafood, 39. Big bowl of ice cream, 29. See, Brandon, with all due respect, shouldn't be a big bowl, like a tub of ice cream with marshmallow and hot fudge and whipped cream and like that. 29. Burger and fries, 22. Deli, 20. Oh, yeah. Mexican food, 20. Chinese food, 13. A cake, 10. The whole thing. A pie, 8. Like one of them Mother Humper pies from Denny's. Wouldn't that be something? Oh, my last supper, I had Denny's. <laughs> yeah. And then I killed myself. A salad, 4. Chicken, 3. And candy, only 2. This audience is not big on candy. Anytime we take a food pool, candy's always at or near the bottom. Right. Near the rock bottom. 523 votes. And Chris will take whatever we can get today. Yep. The presidential campaign of Democrats, Hillary Clinton, was in crisis mode today after her top strategist was forced to quit amid a political firestorm sparked by disclosure of his lobbying ties to Colombia. The departure of Mark Penn rattled the campaign, struggling to match the soaring clarion call for hope and change ignited by Barack Obama, who leads her in nominating contest wins in popular vote as they tussle for the party's nomination. Penn quit after admitting he erred by meeting in his capacity as a Washington lobbyist with Colombian diplomats who backed a trade deal with the U.S. that Clinton opposes. I'm going to, I better blow my nose. He? No, I just, uh, it's that change of season, you know. No, I understand. Yeah, there you go. Penn is a top executive in U.S. public relations firm Burson Marceller and is his own consulting firm. His stick contacts book was one of the factors that prompted Obama to claim Clinton's White House bid was fueled by a bankrupt Washington political system that had failed the American people. He had also been criticized for framing Clinton's electoral message, which positioned her as the candidate of experience, while Obama, a 46-year-old Illinois senator, claimed a mantra of change. After the events of the last few days, Mark Penn was asked to give up his role as chief strategist of the Clinton campaign. Clinton campaign manager Maggie Williams said in a statement, Williams herself only took over in February, replacing Patty Solis Doyle as campaign manager after an internal tumult in the face of pressure from repeated victories by Obama. Aide said Penn's consulting company would carry on providing polling to Clinton's campaign as she struggles to catch up with the Illinois Senate in the party's intense White House race. Not going to happen, Solary. It was revealed last week that Burson Marceller was hired by Bogota to promote a free trade pact between Colombia and the U.S., a treaty which Clinton has opposed to it. Penn said last week he made an error in judgment in meeting with the Colombian ambassador to the U.S., Carolina Barco, on March 31, and said he wouldn't make the same mistake again. Colombia retaliated by firing Burson Marcella, saying in a statement it considers the lack of respect for Colombians and finds this response unacceptable. Burson Marcella's work for Colombia raised conflict of interest questions for Clinton's campaign as she had feverishly worked to court working class votes in states which believe that free trade has hammered their manufacturing base. 
She's talking out of both sides of her ass, as usual. Clinton triumphed in the Ohio primaries last month in a victory credited with reviving her White House campaign, which Paul suggested was based on backing from white blue-collar voters attracted by her populist economic message. The alleged inequities of free trade have become campaign fodder as Obama and Clinton battle it out on the way to the Pennsylvania primary April 22. That's only um, 15 days away, two weeks from tomorrow. Aren't you getting all whipped up about that? Oh, yeah, no. terribly whipped. Penn's departure had been rumors as early as January when Clinton lost the leadoff nominating contest in Iowa to Obama and once evolved into a furious confrontation for the nomination. Penn came to prominence during former President Bill Clinton's triumphant re-election effort in 1996, and he also advised the former First Lady when she captured a Senate seat in 2000. He's just another crook, baby. That's what it's all about. All crooks. They're all on the take. All a big sham and a scam. And we're just pawns. Like it's, it's like the world is a big chess game, and we're mm -hmm. just pawns. Right? You got it. So have a good time. Enjoy yourself. Screw your brains out. Have a great uh, lunch and dinner. Have a, like a banana split. Oh, you missed uh, some really good food on Thursday, by the That's way. That's what I heard. Chris was saying. From Lucille's. And we sold them out, 100 of them, in 29 minutes. Did Chris tell you? No. Although he did not bring the banana split, which is good because Zach was there on Thursday, and he's on that new uh, diet. Yeah. And also, All he made some executive decisions regarding I, I, the <laughs> I heard that story. That's he funny. made some executive decisions that they weren't going to be talking about the beast, that they would go back to talk about sports. Because Clarence had a meeting and ripped them an ass because Clarence and the beast are tight as a snare drum. Tight as a witch's Rectum. ass. And as a result, Clarence, you know, he's playing Butch Boss again. Oh, we don't talk about this and don't talk about that. We want a lot more horse racing. So George is going to be at Gulfstream again Friday. Didn't tell right. me. Back by popular we were just there. I know, but apparently this the Derby season is going on or something. The Derby season? Isn't that what? Uh, well, the Kentucky Derby is yeah. coming up on March, uh, May, or whatever right. it is. Well, the first Saturday in May. They're promotionally horse racing intensive, and uh, they like us. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. I'm really yeah, it glad. Is. Maybe Tara will be there again. That's all he cares about is some hot chick's going to be there. No, I care about the money. Just like I saw last night that uh, the greatest movie of all time was on again. What's it called? Oh, um... The Covenant? Yeah, there what you go. It? Covenant. Covenant. That's it. Very good. Thanks, Chris. With Stephen Strait. I'm told i got to get a copy of 10,000 B.C. for you, the movie that uh, was out in theaters here just recently. Yeah, why is that? Because uh, he's in it. In oh, is he? In a loincloth, the whole movie. Ah. Yeah. Blah. Calm down. I'm working on it now. Covenant. If you haven't seen that movie, I would, I would like, plant yourself right in front of the TV. Actually, it is pretty good. I mean, it's cornball, you know. Maybe the cheese man will bring a copy to the station. The cheese man? He's got magical movie acquiring powers. Who is the cheese man? Um, that's it. That's his name right there. He knows who he is. So in other words, you've got you just, a contact. You just hint about a movie and like magically. The now, this is a new movie you're telling me about. What is it called? Relatively new, 10,000 BC. Mm -hmm. And it was out in theaters recently. I don't think it is anymore. It, it was supposed to have sucked. Not that that's going to bother you, considering no. uh, what's his name is going to be in a loincloth. Mm -hmm. What are you trying to say? I would watch it just because he's in there, like almost naked, like in this other movie, Covenant. Yes, yes. That's, that's the whole purpose of the movie Covenant is just to have a bunch of hot people running around almost naked, mostly guys, though. So. You, you might like it. It's got a story. It's got a uh, one of those supernatural kind of like uh, weirdo. Uh, mm -hmm. It's okay. I'll wait. 500. <laughs> Maybe I'll send you a copy just yeah. to force you to watch yeah, it. Don't, yeah. don't, don't the best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. Oh, God. Hello, governor. Allow 
me to introduce myself. I'm Britney Spears, I am. Now, it's come to my attention that a bunch of blokes is running about saying I've got a fake British accent. Bollocks. It's a bunch of bloody codswallop it is. I'm as American as kidney pie. If I hear one more wanker complaining about me cockney, there's going to be a right dust-up and Bob's your uncle. Pip-pip cheerio and bugger off the lot of you. 1032 at 560 WQM. Happy Monday to it. April the 7th, baby. There must be something really significant on this date, April 7th, isn't there? Is this a day that uh, I don't for me? I know December 7th. Yeah. What about El Cinco de Mayo? That's coming up pretty soon, too. Be sure yeah. mark that on the calendar. Nah. It's already marked, I think. It's what? It's already marked, I think. <clears throat> we got five now. Say shallot would be their last uh, meal. <laughs> Five on a little shallow. That's all. I'm gonna die tomorrow. Let's have a little salad. So I don't want to. I don't want to feel bloated. Right. Maybe when I'm a, dead. a good salad, you know, with like some sprouts. You know, some gorgonzola. Good, that good gorgonzola croutons, salad you know, they had at Monero's. Those nice rye. In Hallandale. Right. Mm. Was it Monero's? I don't know. No, that wasn't it. I think Monero's was in West Palm Beach. But they had good food, man. One year I worked there at J&O, 1975. Boy, the restaurants there. That's when I I lost all that weight and then I gained it back. I found it. Ballooned up. I ballooned up. I had all those uh, nice medium-sized clothes, you know, when I got down to 170. Mm-hmm. And then after a week or two, then all of a sudden the clothes kept getting tighter and tighter. I thought, what the hell's going on here, you know? I realized I was getting fatter and fatter and fatter. Yeah. Good restaurants in Palm Beach County, at least back in the day. You know, now you go back to find restaurants that you loved that many years ago. They're all gone. Once they're gone. Yeah. Over the last five weeks, Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton of New York has featured in her campaign stump speeches the story of a health care horror. An uninsured pregnant woman who lost her baby and died herself after being denied care by an Ohio hospital because she couldn't come up with a $100 fee. It's a lie. It's a lie. That's Hillary's speciality, man. Lies. The woman, Trina Bactel, did die last August, two weeks after her baby boy was stillborn at Oblenis Memorial Hospital in Athens, Ohio. But hospital administrators said Friday that Mrs. Bactel was under the care of an obstetrics practice affiliated with the hospital. She was never refused treatment, and she was, in fact, insured. How do you like that? All of these, uh, All of these things. things. We implore the Clinton campaign to immediately desist from repeating this story, said Rick Kastrop, chief executive officer of the Oblenis Health System. Stop with the lies, okay, bitch? We know you're desperate, but stop with the lies, with the bubble mices, with the fairy tales. Linda Weiss, spokeswoman for the not-for-profit hospital, said the Clinton campaign had never even contacted the hospital to check the accuracy of the story, which Mrs. Clinton had first heard from a Mays County, Ohio sheriff's deputy in late February. A Clinton spokesman, Mo Elethy, said candidates would frequently retell stories related to them, vetting them when possible. In this case, we did try, but weren't able to fully vet it, Mr. Elethy said. If the hospital claims it did not happen that way, we respect that. The sheriff's deputy, Brian Holman, had played host to Mrs. Clinton in his home before the Ohio primary. Deputy Holman said in a telephone interview that the conversation about health care led him to relate the story of Mrs. Bactel. He never mentioned the name of the hospital that supposedly turned her away because he didn't know what he said. Deputy Holman knew Ms. Bactel's story only secondhand, having learned it from close relatives of the woman. Ms. Bactel's relatives did not return phone calls on Friday. Well, this one told this one, and that one told it. It's like uh, the Old Testament, you know. Hand-me-down uh, tales, like old wives' tales, bubble mices, fairy tales. You fairy! As Deputy Holman understood it, Ms. Bactel had died of complications from a stillbirth after being turned away by a local hospital for her failure to pay 100 bucks up front. 
I mentioned this story to Senator Clinton, and she apparently took to it and liked it, Deputy Holman said, and one of her aides said she'd be using it at some rallies. Indeed, saying that the story haunted her, Swillery repeatedly offered it as a dire example of a broken health care system. At one March rally in Wyoming, for example, she referred to Ms. Bactell, a 35-year-old who managed a pizza hut, as a young uninsured minimum wage worker, saying it hurts me that in our country, as rich and good of a country as we are, this young woman and her baby died because she couldn't come up with a hundred bucks to see the doctor. Mrs. Clinton doesn't name Ms. Bactell or the hospital in her speeches, as she tells that the woman was turned away twice by a local hospital when she was experiencing difficulty with her pregnancy. The hospital said, well, you don't have insurance. She said, no, I don't. They said, well, we can't see it until you give us a hundred bucks. She said, where am I going to get a hundred bucks? The next time she came back to the hospital, she came in an ambulance, Mrs. Clinton continued. She was in distress. Not that dress, this dress, the blue one. The doctors and nurses worked on her and couldn't save the baby. Since Ms. Bactel's baby died at O'Blennis Memorial Hospital, a story implicitly and inaccurately accuses that hospital of turning her away, said Ms. Weiss, a spokeswoman for the O'Blennis Memorial Hospital. Indeed, the O'Blennis Healthcare System treated her both at the hospital and at the affiliated River Rose Obstetrics and Gynecology Practice, Ms. Weiss be saying. The hospital wouldn't provide details about the woman's case, citing privacy concerns. She died two weeks after the stillbirth at a medical center in Columbus. We reviewed the medical and patient account records of this patient, said Mr. Castro, the health system's chief executive. Any implication that the system was involved in denying care is definitely not true. Although Mrs. Clinton has told the story repeatedly, it first came to the attention of the hospital after the Washington Post cited it as a staple of her stump speeches on Thursday. That brought it to the attention of the Daily Sentinel in Pomeroy, Ohio, which published an article on Friday. More stories. More. She just make, makes it up, her and her cronies, as they go along. She's got Taurus, baby. That's good news, yeah. ain't it? Mm-hmm. Big, big Taurus. And the fact that Mark Penn had a bailout. Maybe he can go work for uh, uh, Hugo Chavez. What do you think? That's a good plan. Oh, last night they had a uh, really interesting thing. I forget what the hell it was. It was about uh, it was on CBC, I guess, about Castro. It was uh, about how he yeah. lost his voice in that one speech, you know, after the yeah. revolution took over. You know, he lost his and Raúl went up to the mic. Yeah, you hear that rattling out there? No, nope. that's the guy who cleans the doorknobs again. Hang on a sec. I want to make sure. All right. How's it going, Chris? Hmm? Derby girls get Daz this weekend. Twice. Chase the other two teams away. Right on. Got words from yelling. Going to have pictures up. They kicked Daz. Went there on Saturday? Yeah, went there Saturday. They won both their bouts. And then on uh, Sunday, they didn't even get through the uh, the first one. Team bugged out. Really? What are you talking about? Derby. Roller Derby. Oh, Oh, Jolly Joe Bell and George met up yesterday at the roller derby. Mm-hmm. He's a big fan, apparently. Of, of, what? of roller derby, not me. Big fan of yours? Of roller derby. It's the guy that's cleaning the doorknobs. I just looked out through my little peek hole. <laughs> I was peeking through he's the pee hole. Polishing the knobs? Yeah. Did you want to take some time to go I back mean, out there? You can do it quietly if you like had any common sense. If you want to go get your knob polished, we'll wait. Rattles the door. In fact, I probably should go get my piece in honor of Charlton Heston croaking. Just blow him away. Oh, I thought you were trying to break in. You know, like that. Mm-hmm. 563 votes about your last meal if you knew you were going to croak tomorrow. Five, six people say they want a shallot. Maybe we can get Marcelo, the shallot guy, to help him out. Okay. Remember Marcelo? Yes. From WYOD. I can't think of yes. the name of that. Though. It almost was on the tip of my tongue in Palm Beach County, that Thai restaurant. Some young guy, whatever that place was mm-hmm. called. Remember? No. Yeah. 
But yeah, no. you do. I mean, I remember the place, but not the name either. They used to bring us food all the time. Siam Bayshore. Siam Bayshore. What was it? No, that was the one on the causeway. Siam's Doll. Siam's Doll. There you go. Close. Close what? I had part of it. Siam's Doll. Right. And uh, the IOD uh, billing people put them out of business. Remember that? Uh-huh. <laughs> but, hey, it's radio, baby. It's a yeah, really strange want? business. <laughs> that's the way it goes. Probably you had to get on a banana boat and go back to wherever the hell they came from. But that's the way it is. We don't care. We just want your money, baby. Give us the money. Don't show it to us. Give it to us. And the money, too. Bush took responsibility after Michael Brown resigned. I bet you Brown the second thoughts about taking it in the behind. Where was FEMA? Wreck em. Broken levees, FEMA was nowhere in sight. FEMA! Even with warning, FEMA's boss wasn't bright. When the storm was over, water was everywhere. But the biggest disaster was that Mexico beat you there. They beat FEMA. No big contracts. They went to Halliburton. Oi! FEMA! Responds more quickly when it's rich people hurting. When it's rich people hurting. FEMA! 10.45 at 5.60 WQAM. So, um, you had a good time at Gulfstream again last time. Yep. Because that's the last time we were on together. Right. And uh, the lady who, uh, hand, the handicrapping lady, I gave yeah. you the winner in the first race, she gave you the one in the second race, and you wouldn't listen to her. No. Because you're stubborn, a hard ass. Uh, space cadet burnout. I don't know what my excuse Stupid. is. Stupid. Yeah. $168 double. You could have bet a $10 double had 830 bucks back. I could have, but I didn't. Didn't even have a two dollar double. Now, did you at least bet the two horse in the first race? Yeah. How much did you bet? I don't know. Whatever it was, ten bucks. Ten. I don't bucks? remember. That was a lifetime ago. And the horse won by seven lengths mm-hmm. with John Velasquez. See, I don't forget things like that. Important things <laughs> right. like horse races from the past. <laughs> Controversial horse races from the past. Right. Five hundred eighty-four votes on the poll. We are really kicking it ancient style. It's not a very good poll. We apologize, but uh, you know. Now, here's one for tomorrow, if we want to use this. Do you like this one that you faxed to me? Somebody, it's that uh, Ray guy again from Rooney the, uh, the, the movie lines? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it fine. We've I mean, done we've it done before. it, but yeah. there are so many that needs to be on there. Sure. For example, uh, this one. I'm going to make him an offer again with you. Right. right. That's a contender. And, don't forget... Look how brass he sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> That's not a contender, just a source of just never-ending uh, hysteria. Now, you found those facts. And, you know, Cordes wouldn't fax me one of those. Really? Well, good. Because I, yeah. I asked the guy to apologize. He was ripping me on Thursday, telling me that it was Tessio. And I, I said, you know, I dare you to you know, send me a fax and apologize now that we have it uh, right from the uh, script that it was Clemenza. We've already been through this before. And then he finally apologizes, and Cordis, of course, uh, read it or something. I don't know. Yeah, he read it on the air. Yeah, he read it. Well, what does it say? Have you got it there? Or did you Schmidt can it? Oh, no. Yeah, I canned it. Why is that? 
<laughs> Why is that? Because I thought it was over and done with. There was oh, a it, huge it, pile. It's over done with from now, but you know, another three, four months, so somebody will be like, "Oh no, you're yeah. wrong, Neil. You're wrong." Yeah, I'm I took wrong. the huge pile of faxes that was sitting here in front of me when I came in, and there was I a huge pile of faxes. I didn't get any of them. Well, nevertheless, yeah, you did. They were um, they were just left there from last week. Oh, might be something important on there. Like maybe Norma Kent, who just continues sitting on his uh, faggoty ass. Boy, that one is just Im- immovable and impossible. Im- immovable and impossible. Oh, I'm going to overnight to this. I'm going to over- yeah, overnight my ass. Wow. Yeah, going to cost big at FedEx. Put it in a little box. I doubt it. My favorite line from a movie is, and here's the list they got here. I'll be back. Go ahead, make my day. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's not a tumor. Life is like a box of chocolates. If you build it, they will come. Get the honey, Junior. Of course, he never did say that. Right. And he's still alive. That's the good news. What's his right. name again? Richie Rich. Karen. What? Richie Karen. Get the honey, Junior. Yeah, he said that just for us right. on the phone. Get. The, he says, get the honey. He doesn't say get the honey, Junior. But anyway, uh, I don't know what this is. Youts? What's a yout? Ute? Utes? The two utes. What, what is that? Well, by the way, I, I just Googled uh, Stephen Strait since you got me all whipped up. And there are actually several pictures on there where he looks <laughs> grotesque. Grotesque. Gee, what a surprise. What do you mean by that? Well, it's not the first time. First time what? That you have um, seen someone that looked good and then you see other pictures of them. Wow. Oh. Well, yeah. listen, the whole movie, he can't, he can't look that good the whole movie. And then, and then there are other pictures where he looks fine. But there's a, he's doing the Johnny Depp routine, you know, where he doesn't right. want to look too pretty. So he's got the, the facial hair and the schmutz and all. Yeah, oh. See, if you're lucky enough to be born looking really, 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 really stupendously good, why the hell do you want to screw around with that? But right. nevertheless, I'll have, I'll have what she's having. What, what movie is that from? Uh, that uh, Billy Crystal movie, what you call it? I don't know what that is. Well, play it, Sam, and then That's play it, it again. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Now, you play that all the time. What is that from? Oh, that's from uh, The Fly. Be afraid. Gina Davis. Be very afraid. Oh, not The Fly with, uh, what's Jeff Corn? Jeff Goldblum, your favorite, yes. Oh, I can't stand him. He looks better when he turns into The Fly. I agree. He just uh, gives me the creeps. The original Fly with Vincent Price was good. Yeah. Do you know who I am? I'm Mo Green. In other words, that's a line from The Godfather that belongs on this list? I don't think so. Do you know who I am? I'm Mo Green. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. No, I don't think that's even close to qualifying. Well, let me tell you something, my crunk, Mick friend. Even that's better. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. But I still think... I'm going to make him an offer again with you. Oh, yeah. And if there's... Well, there's so many. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. And maybe one more. If we're going to do Godfather stuff again, uh, I'll find it. Just relax. Like I said, I can't find it. <laughs> he says, you, Sonny says, you're taking this very personal. Where the hell? Oh, here it is. Jesus. You're taking this very personal. There you go. This is business, Tom, and this man is taking it personal. Remember that? Sure. You fairy. There you go. You fairy. We haven't talked about that movie in a long time. Glenn Gary, Glenn Hill, Glenn Ross. And you better see it if you haven't seen it before you die. Coffee's for closers only. Bond, James Bond. And you talking to me? I hope so. And that's the list right there. Yeah, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Can we add? You made your decision for Christ. What? Jesus Christ. It won't win, but it's just a favor of mine. Are you not eating again, are you? On the air. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Just walk away. Sandwich, nine-inch Cuban. 
Nine minutes cube when you're back on that again? Mm-hmm. I rotate. 600 votes on Chris's pool. All right. And seven people say for their last meal they'd want a nice little shallot. Like maybe if you go to the electric chair, you know, they let you choose your last meal. I get that baked macaroni and cheese. Mm. You could bake it right out there on your lap. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good thought. Speaking of uh, dead people, three U.S. soldiers were killed, 31 others wounded in two rocket attacks yesterday afternoon in Baghdad. Everything is so swell over there, you know. An attack involving a couple of rounds of fire on the international zone, also known as the Green Zone, killed two soldiers and wounded 17 others about 3.30 yesterday afternoon. Uh, A separate attack about 30 minutes earlier killed one soldier and wounded 14 at a U.S. military outpost in southeastern Baghdad. Sunday's fatalities bring the death toll of U.S. troops in the Iraq war to 4,022, and nearly 30,000 others have been wounded in action, many missing limbs and eyes and stuff like that. But the public is uh, busy with uh, Brittany, you know, stuff, uh, important stuff. With Brittany and crap and the uh, runaway bride and... Dancing with the stars and uh, American Idol and who's going to get kicked off this week and crap. If you want to become a billionaire, just peddle the American public crap because that's what the public loves. Is crap. You can't, they can't get enough. Crap. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Just peddle a bunch of stupid ass crap. and the public is there lapping it up. God, makes me want to vomit. And then I just forget about it. I watch something good like uh, Covenant. Speaking of lapping it up, good God. There's a scene where they're, because uh, they're swimmers. These guys are on the swim team. Yeah. And they come waltzing around the corner into the uh, pool area in these very, I don't know how to describe them, almost Speedos. like. Uh, no, not Speedos. No, no, <laughs> I wish. No, not those, but like cotton swim trunks. You know what I mean? Very kind of mm, like. No. Well, you'd have to see it. I'll send it to you. I'll I'm pass. Send you the no, sorry. No, wh- now, why do you say that? Why I, do you I say you'll pass? I saw the Is previews. Is it bad for your image or something? No, listen. I saw the previews, and it yes. didn't look like a movie for me. Why not? So, Too many guys? Does anybody, does any chick get naked in that movie? Because if I'm going to watch it for the uh, eye candy factor. No. I didn't say it. you'd watch it for the eye candy factor. No, that's so what, that's why you like story. it. It's not bad. It's been running around the cable. I've been avoiding it very uh, successfully. Well, you know something? I'm going to send it to you. Ah, oh, Jesus. No? Well, I'm going to, I'll send you 10,000 B.C. then. Don't, don't do it. I'll find it. I'll and watch I ju- it. I just, I just looked at that, and he's got all the, you know, he's like he's a... Look, uh, he's supposed to be a caveman, for Christ's sake. Caveman. Sakes. He's got all yeah. the uh, Rasta hair, and he's got the loincloth, and this other, all the schmatas on. And do the caveman beard. fantasy. Like, you find him, you, you know, you unfreeze him, <laughs> and then you clean him up. That's the fantasy there. Oh. Because you know what okay. he looks like under the schmutz. Well, i got to go right now. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Go buy a hair dryer. Man, there is nobody in the world looks like that. And then people are going to Google it and look it up and say, geez, he's really grotesque. Yeah, they've got some pictures on IMDb. He looks horrendous. I don't understand what that's all about. People that look really great trying to look gruesome. Gruesome. There are a lot of us who look gruesome without making any effort at all. Don't have to go the extra nine yards. By the way, I had a nice, uh, a good day at Woodbine yesterday. Aren't you pleased? Aren't you proud of me? I am proud. Now, did I tell you the story about Maurice? Which French, one? The bald-headed Frenchman that uh, said, look at, look, uh, look at me, you'll never see me here again. Did I tell you the follow-up? No, not the follow-up. I remember no, you last week. The follow-up was last weekend. I also, I guess it was Monday. And I hit two grand on the $1 machine, and I was going, went to the tea room to take a leak. And as I was leaving, I see by the $5 Wheel of Fortune machine, who do you think it is? Maurice. Uh-huh. So I walked up from behind, and I said to him, you must have a twin brother. And he looked at me and he said, I need for them to take my picture 
so that they never let me in here again. And they'll do that if you want, if you got a game. <laughs> Real no, seriously. <laughs> he says, I'm losing 7,000 today. Oh. And as I was leaving, I mean, oh. I didn't know what to say to the guys. God. I was like, Say, sucker, sucker, yeah, a maniac. Weak, well, he's, got a, he's got a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got yeah, a family yeah. problem. He's a lunatic. Where, he's an idiot. Where, let, me, let him talk to As somebody who's got a real problem. As I left, he sat there. down at the $5 machine and was plunging more. Yeah. And that's the end of the story. You know, there are people with real again. problems like amputees, you know, people with diseases that are there, there are no cures for. People who have problems that they can't correct just by changing their behavior. Those are real now problems. Now they're sending us the lines for the, uh, from the movie. Say hello yeah, to no, like my little friend. That's right. That's a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. Okay. Well, there are only going to be 4,000 lines. At least it's something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe when we get to 750 on this current poll, maybe we'll change it. What do you think, Chris? Okay. And guess what? All of a sudden, nature decided I'm going to go uh, do Joyce. Really? Well, good. Good time. Biggest names. The best wow. talent. Go Joyce. Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. This is the Neil Rogers Show. This is your brain. Any questions? Hey, welcome to the show. My guests today say their relationships are in turmoil, and they're here to reveal their shocking secrets. I know Hillary said that she would like to sleep with men for money. Well, it's easy to say yes. Literally for years. And you find out that she's been sleeping around them. Yeah. All across America. I mean, I had the same position for years, upside down and backwards. Oh. Well, why do you suddenly start sleeping with your sister? It didn't happen. We asked you if you've ever had sex with women. You said no. The lie detector test determined that was a lie. Well, I'm amazed. A lot of Americans are going to say, good for you. You go, girl. I'm glad it's her instead of me. You can't have just discovered that you were gay. Certainly. I have said that. Do you have a wild, shocking secret for a loved one? Do you want to tell them on our show? Indeed, I did have 200 sexual relationships. Okay, watch out for that sniper fire. Hank is, uh, was just on CNN a couple minutes ago. It's 1101 at 560 WQAM. You, uh, you hear the fact sound on there? No. I'm faxing the uh, poll to uh, Eric for the one for tomorrow. Okay. Also, Brandon wants to know if you brought the 360 back. Yeah, I did. You did? Mm-hmm. So Cordis was wanting to buy it. And last week, remember I just told you about the uh, backup power supply going out? Right. And we had that power outage here for a minute or two. And the 360, when the power goes out, the lights go out like neon sign, man. It's like right. all over the place. It goes crazy. And I discovered. Like the jackpot. I discovered that on the. Well, let me go to the first bank. Mm-hmm. They got all excited about that. What's that? It sounds like uh, Neil's drinking, you know, like some stupid. Yeah, thing. you're always right. drinking mm-hmm. water, diet soda. Now I can't change the damn thing. Yeah, you can. Oh, hey. No, I can't change it now. Well, you stop it, then you can change it. Do what? Oh, there you go. And I discovered Bank Four. Yeah. And I never know. I remember, I'm always saying you got that. Uh-huh. I don't have that. Well, they're all in there. That's uh, it's a duplicate of this one. That's the bank I use, Bank 4. Oh, good. Okay, Eric's got the new poll. That's the good news. And, of course, I'm sure we'll get 400 faxes, not with other movie lines. We've done that before, but not in a long time. It's not as good as I want a shallot for my last meal, you know, like right. a macaroni salad. Although the macaroni and cheese sounds really wonderful to me. Let me go back to the right bank. 
1103 at 560 WQAM. George is going to be now what time? The whole show again on Friday at Gulfstream. Boy, they love right. us. Huh? They, they do. Love you. They really do. They love us. It's a, it's a team effort. Is I wouldn't really? be any good without you who knows what to do and what to say and uh, what to play. Oh, you're back in the horse racing thing again? Well, yeah. That's what it's all about. No, I do understand. Yeah. No, it's not just about that. It's also about the slots, baby. All that, too. And Flat Out Run is going to come right away in the end. Flat Out Run scores by four links to win Grand Style. Six away, third, kindly light, and fourth in was Odie's Best. All right. That's the new thing now. Most of the race announcers, they have to either be British or sound British or Australian or something like that. It's the new thing. Oh, there's Dover Downs where all the uh, drivers are related. <laughs> George Dennis and Eddie Dennis and uh, Eddie Davis and, uh, oh, it's just amazing. We don't want, don't get horse racing intense. There's Brandon Gibbons, my boy. Hey, Brandon. Don't start getting uh, perverted now on me. Not on a Monday. Wait till later. Oh, I'm not going to. No, when you started with that Stephen Strait business with the cover, yeah, would you refuse that. to watch because there's hot guys in it? I mean, is that automatically excluded? No, no, I refuse to watch, to watch it because it's not a good movie. It's not for me. How do you know it's not a good movie? Uh, you said so. You're right. It's not supposed to be a good movie. Since when is a skin flick like that supposed to be a good and movie? If they had skin uh, that was up my alley, then I'd Oh, I'll tell watch you, it. one that was good that was a skin flick, and that was, which we can never think of the name of it, with uh, Vanderbeek. Oh, well, that was more than that. What's uh, the name of it? See, you can't think Rules of, of Attraction. That's it, Rules of no, Attraction. No, that was, that was a soap opera. That was not about skin at all. No, no get out of that here. That had a lot going skin. on. What are you talking about? Watch it, it again. Just because. No, one of the great scenes in the history of movies is the scene at the. In the restaurant, yeah, where Faye Dunaway is there and the other mother and the two uh, queens, that mm. scene, I don't know. I don't know if you have to be Just gay. Just because really appreciate they it. had hot people in it doesn't mean it wasn't a real movie with real stories and, uh, and all that. Oh, there's a story in Covenant. Yeah, I'll bet. These four guys, they uh, yeah, got the powers. Yeah, yeah. They've got Magic the power, power, baby. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And when you, uh, your 18th birthday comes, you uh, rise and your Levi's. Yeah, and yeah. I'll watch them vampire movies. U.S. private security firm Blackwater's deal to protect American diplomats in Baghdad will be extended for a year while the FBI investigates a 2007 incident in which the company's guards are accused of killing 17 Iraqis, the State Department said on Friday. It's just, it's just amazing. I've requested and received approval to have Task Order 6, which Blackwater has to provide personal protective services in Baghdad, renewed for one year. The head of diplomatic security, Gregory Starr, told reporters. I don't know if he's related to Barbara Starr, who's Hank's twin sister. The September 2005 shooting incident in Baghdad enraged the Iraqi government and triggered an investigation by the FBI into what happened and whether any crimes might have been committed. Getting back to that uh, uh, Martin Luther King thing, James yeah. Earl Ray. Yeah. See, I used to wonder, why is it here he was in prison for life, he was terminally ill, he was like weighed about four pounds, why would he keep lying? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's always some lone, some crazed lone gunman. That's right. And also, how did he know where to, where to go in that hotel? And, and by going back out and, and standing on the bathtub and aiming the uh, rifle out or, the window, uh, how did he know that Martin Luther King was going to be standing on that balcony at any, at any given point? Sounds like you're a troublemaker. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. How could anybody have known that? Why do you hate America? A measure issued by the U.S.-led Coalition Provisional Authority in 2004 prevents foreign security contractors from being prosecuted in local courts. It's unclear whether they could be prosecuted under U.S. law. After the incident, the State Department changed several elements of the contract, including tightening up rules of engagement, putting cameras on all convoys, and having a diplomatic security officer ride along with the detail. 
Starr said Blackwater was operating with the agreement of the Iraqi government and he did not know when the FBI's investigation of the incident would be completed. If anybody believes that John Kennedy was killed by Lee Harvey Oswald, a lone crazed assassin, or that Bobby Kennedy was killed by Sirhan Sirhan, who fired 400 bullets from one gun, or that James Earl Ray assassinated Martin Luther King just all by himself without any conspiracy, you must be a foolish person. That's all I can tell you. It was just a 60s thing, you know, a lot of lone crazed gunmen. Right? It was a 60s right. thing. It was like streaking. It was fashionable. Oh, wait, that was 70s. Who is Douglas Coe? I don't the know. The most important religious leader you've never seen or heard, says NBC's Andrea Mitchell. Co-leader of a group called The Fellowship. Well, that reminds me of that great movie, The Covenant. <laughs> what? It's a great movie, believe me. <laughs> great. In fact, you know something? Maybe it's on right now. Let me go to all my movie channels and scour. I've seen it listed on the cable there. On yeah. the movie channels. And what? You're afraid to watch it? Even for like afraid five to watch it. It's, you're afraid to watch it. You might like to watch it. it. This is, this you is might the get line. Aroused. Everyone knows, everyone who has ever had a gay friend, and some of us have had several, knows that that's the line y'all use. What are you afraid of? I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of broccoli either. I'm just not into it. So thank you. No. <laughs> There's no broccoli in this movie. Yeah, there is. Yucky. Oh, dog day afternoon. Attica. All right. Oh, there's language in this movie. Oh, do we have I'm dying over here for that poll? Oh, that's right. I'm dying over here. Speaking of dog day. I thought so too, but we're not talking. We're I'm talking now. Right. That's what we're doing. We reached your wife. She'll be here in about a half hour. Your wife. Okay. What are they doing? They're still pointing. They love to. Holster that weapon. Holster it. Holster that weapon. Oh, that's Charles Durning from. Uh, he was in. Um, that's right. When, when a stranger calls. Mm -hmm. It's been a lot of things. He's he's a good actor, and he was also in that um, Jack Lemmon movie, Mass Appeal. Yep. He played the uh, bishop. I'll do anything I can to stop anything I can, all right? Anything else? Attica! Yeah. Attica! Well, I got some people in there. What, what about that line? I mean, is that a line? Attica! When the Alpacino uh, is screaming no. and waving a hanky, no? No, I'm dying over here. That's the one you just said, line. I'm dying, dying over, here. over here. I'll have to add that. Uh, well, you'll have to add it on there when we change the poll, okay? Right. Got it? Got it. Got it. I mean, not that you're fond of that line or, you know, I've ever heard it or anything. Not me. I'm dying over here. And then he died. That, that was a young guy, too, one of our listeners. He said that. And I'm dying over here. Probably shouldn't say that because then you die. That's a long time right. ago. That's many, many years ago. Well, he was young when he said it. Uh, yeah, not anymore. What the hell would I want to do with that, for Christ's sakes? I'm in trouble enough as it is. I'm not trying to create any trouble. I know there's language in this because I, it was on last night. I saw a little bit of it. Yeah. Language, English baby. language. Language that we can't put on the air, that kind of language. This was the most unlikely discovery. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. A discovery that will take Jeffrey Beaumont into the darkest corners of small-town America. Continue. I'm seeing something that was always hidden and involved in a mystery. And introduce him to the people that live there. I'll send you straight to hell! Uh-oh, going to be language in there. Anyway, can we get back to the um, fellowship? Would you? Douglas Coe, leader of a group called The Fellowship, is a powerful, secretive, and well-connected religious leader, widely known among senators across the aisles and across faiths, but not by the general public. Coe's services have been attended by all three of the major 2008 presidential hopefuls, Senator Swillery, John McCain, and Barack Obama. The Fellowship appears to be as much of a networking opportunity as it is a religious group, says Joshua Green, senior, senior editor of the Atlantic Monthly. I think in part through her involvement with the Fellowship's prayer group, Green says, Swillery was able to meet a lot of these conservative Republican senators to get to know them on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Jeff Charlotte, author of The Family, was disturbed by Coe's teachings after spending time living among his followers, sometimes referring to themselves in jest as the Christian Mafia, Charlotte says. 
fellowship members didn't seem to understand why he was concerned that co-referenced such historical figures as Hitler, Lenin, and Mao, Chairman Mao, in his teachings. Hitler's genocide wasn't really an issue for them, says Charlotte. It was the strength that he emulated. People close to Clinton say Co is not Clinton's minister. She doesn't consider Co to be a leading spiritual advisor, nor has she contributed to his group or ever been a member. Co talks mostly about Jesus and evokes Hitler only as an example of how small groups can cultivate power for good or bad, said a close friend to NBC. Co declined to be interviewed for the segment. The Fellowship. Look out for Douglas Co and the Fellowship. Look out for all religious notes. That's what I tell you right now, man. That's we're in the wrong business. Remember once upon a time you were going to start your own religion? Mm-hmm. Should have done it. I know. Sure beats waiting on Norma Kent, I'll tell you that. Pop, 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 beep, 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 beep. You fair. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Christmas is coming, too. So is Shavuos. 650 votes in this poll. Attica. Attica, you don't like that? No. You don't? No. You don't like that scene? I like that scene. It's just, I don't think that's a line. It's not? I don't think people use that line. Like, I'm dying over here, I'm going to make an offer you can't refuse. You know, something that comes up, a line that you might actually say. That's yeah. just a chant. That's just a thing that, uh, that happened. Right, yeah, buffer. The family had a lot of buffers. <laughs> we, we've done this, I think, just on Godfather. What's your favorite line from The Godfather? Well, we're uh, not going to do that again. Too much Godfather, baby. Too much. I never dreamed I could say that, but too much uh, is a good thing. Too much. Biggest names. The best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. Little boy. I've been to Iraq nine times in the last three years. I've seen bombs and blood. I've seen death and democracy. I've seen a lot. But what have I heard? That's easy. Lionel Richie. Well, my friends, the time has come. Raise the roof, blow up someone. You don't need to shoot any guns. Get out there and plant bombs. Hide the mines out there in the streets. They better watch where they put their feet. We're going to, to party while we dig and hide those explosives. And listen to those lion deltons. by sectarian divisions, the one thing Sunnis and Shiites share is a complete and utter devotion to Lionel Richie. They are a united legion for Lionel. Just relax. I don't want to find it. Oh, my God. Give me the cigarette. Go ahead. Do what you want. I just think you ought to take care of your body, that's all. See, I think that after a Godfather, that uh, what John Casal was that his name played Fredo? Yes. I don't think he should have been allowed to ever act in another movie again because he's Fredo. You know what I mean? Right. I don't want to say he was typecast, but he was Fredo. And this was like three years later, Dog Day Afternoon. That was a good movie, mm-hmm. but it should have been somebody else. 
I uh, changed the poll with, with or without Chris's permission. Say what? What? 654 votes. It sucked, okay? With all due respect to your close personal friend, Brandon, uh, it was just uh, kind of like a stopgap. It was something. It was better than leaving it blank. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what would be your last meal? 654 votes. Steak, 173. Lobster, 142. A big, juicy lobster loaded with butter. Just loaded with cholesterol. So much that it gave you like a pounding headache. Maybe that's why you died tomorrow. You wake up with a pounding headache and then you go, Oi! I'm dying over here! Italian food, 73. Like a feast. Pizza, 60. Seafood, 51. A huge tub of ice cream with like hot fudge and whipped cream and maraschino cherries, etc. 35. Burger and fries, 26. Burger and fries. Oh, yeah. Woo! Now that's it's a really good burger. Mexican food, 24. Deli, 21. Well, let's find out from Tootsie what the best burger in town is. Then we'll know when you're ready to croak where to get that last burger. Deli, 21. That'll kill you. Chinese food, 15. A cake, 11. A pie, 9. A shallot, 8. Chicken, 4. And candy, only 2. Dined by candy. How about Mary Jane's? No, not the kind you're thinking of. What? And those mallow cups. Now, we were talking about that last week, but these guys, they're not old enough to remember that. I'm sure you do. They're still around. They are? Like, you go to Jackson's, they have every candy in existence there. Oh. Including them giant mallow cups. cups are? Like the hard chocolate on the outside with the marshmallow marshmallow inside? Oh, yeah. Those are dangerous. Oh, baby. And I don't see those anywhere anymore. Thank God. Yeah, good for you. Why is that? So I got to eat them and die. Yeah, I'm going to die. You're right. Oh, there's his wife uh, slash husband across the street. Chris Randy. <laughs> My favorite line from movie is blank. Now, did you add on there? I'm dying over here? Yep. Good. Well, I'm not going to. There, there's just a few votes. A smattering of votes so far. Leave the gun. Uh, take the cannoli is leading so far. How do you like that? I told just you. walk away. I, I told you. Leave the gun. Oh, yeah. Take the cannoli. Yeah, that's when Tessio says, leave the gun, take the cannoli. <laughs> oh, everybody's an expert on everything. You're wrong, man. You made a mistake. You're wrong, you fat son of a bitch fag. You're wrong. Oh, God. Chances for an Al Gore presidency may be all but non-existent at this point of the campaign, but Barack Obama said last week the former vice president might just have a spot in his administration, maybe even cabinet level. Stick his ass in a cabinet. A woman at a town hall meeting in Pennsylvania asked whether Obama, if elected, would tap Gore for such a position to address global warming issues. I would, Obama said. Not only will I, but I'll make a commitment that Al Gore will be at the table (coughs) and play a central part in us figuring out how we solve this problem. He'll be at the table eating, no doubt, hand over fist, shoveling it down his fat puss. Obama said Gore is somebody I talk to on a regular basis. I'm already consulting with him in terms of these issues, but climate change is real. Gore remains popular among Democrats. Some have even speculated that Gore could enter the Democratic nomination at the 11th hour to put an end to the sniping between Obama and Swillery. In a recent interview on 60 Minutes, Gore dismissed suggestions he would enter the race, said he had no interest in serving as a broker to find a conclusion to the Obama-Hillary contest. The conclusion will be... Uh, they would just make him mad. They don't know him, and, and it wouldn't stop him. Well, somebody's got to stop him. Can... I, I, you don't understand. He's crazy. <laughs> what? That's a funny movie. It was a very funny movie. He's a wonderful father. Uh, his mother, you should see her. His mother and father together are like a bad car wreck. 
<laughs> anyway, a lot of people probably never saw Dog Day Afternoon. It's a little bit gay. Well, it's very uh, gay, but nevertheless, aren't they all? No, unless Arnold is in. Aren't they all a little bit uh, gay? Like that movie you just said. Uh, what's the name of it again? The Covenant an Attraction. I don't know why that is, but nobody. We can never remember the name of that movie. It's it just a, a mind very block strange. What? Got a mind block. We evidently do. Leave the gun, take the cannoli's got ten. And boy, I do love those chocolate-covered cannoli like they have at Doris Market. Mm -hmm. I wonder what ever happened to them. Don't know. Still I wonder there. what happened to a lot of uh, places, you know? Maybe if Muff ever shows her uh, silly face in her again, I might want to ask what happened to this and what happened to that. Because he's the only one that talks to us, him and Steve Sloan. Right. Well, Steve Sloan was in there this morning, believe mm -hmm. it or not. And then Petey Lenny, he talks to us, but we're not too thrilled about right. it. Right, he tried to talk to you this morning. Did he really? Yeah. What did he want? A couple times. To talk to you. And? I told him, no, leave. Why is that? He didn't have any business to talk to you about. How do you know that? It's his restaurant on the Neil Deal this week. How do you know mm -hmm. he didn't have something important to tell me Trust about me. how to pronounce it? Trust me, a little bit. What did he want? To bug you. Could Condoleezza Rice be John McCain's running mate? Asked John Byrne on the Raw story. A day, oh, this is kind of gay, too. A day after a top former Bush spokesman in Iraq remarked that Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice is actively campaigning for McCain's vice presidential ticket, McCain himself remained mum after getting a question about her possible candidacy on his campaign jet. I think she's a great American. I think she, there's very little I can say that isn't anything but the utmost praise for a great American citizen who served as a role model to so many people in this country and around the world, McCain said. But as I mentioned to you, we're not talking about the process because that just gets into things that could easily spill over into invasion of privacy. I'm a great admirer of Secretary Rice. Invasion of privacy. Rice, while fated by mainstream press, could actually be a liability for McCain. The media uh, has been loath to ask questions about a revelation by a Washington Post reporter who revealed that real estate documents show she co-owned a home and shared a credit line with a woman in Stanford. Kessler revealed this in his biography of Rice, the confidant, Condoleezza Rice, and the creation of the Bush legacy. Rice co-owned and shared a line of credit with Randy Bean, a documentary filmmaker who once worked with Bill Moyers. She later transferred the co-ownership of her property to Bean, who once told Kessler she had medical bills, which left her financially drained, and Rice helped her by co-purchasing the house along with a third person, Coit Blacker, another Stanford professor who's openly gay. Oh, no. Oh, openly gay. Wow. When asked about the revelations by Sirius Radio's gay talk show host Michael Signorelli last September, Kessler said he didn't know if this meant there was something more to the relationship between the women beyond a friendship. You phony sellout closet dyke, Condoleezza. Which I told you that for a long time. It's so obvious. All these self-hating fags, man. Self-hating Jews, self-hating fags, self-hating uh, whatever. That's what the Bush uh, junta is all about, baby. Self-hating mm -hmm. lunatics. Uh, he doesn't want to talk to you. What do you mean you won't talk to me? Why? Now, let me work on it. Well, I thought that was what you were going to do. Uh oh. It it you don't want to talk to me. Yeah. Well, there's a he's uh, looking afraid of. I mean, movie, yeah. Well, what is his name? Sonny? No, Sonny is Al Pacino. What's the right. Indian's name? Ah, I'm gonna have to look Thanks it up. Questioning Leon Shermer, a 26-year-old. Oh, Leon, that's the uh, he she. That's the uh, husband wife. The best talent. Hey, Leon. Five sixty QAM. The sports leader.
God. This is the moment we learn something new. Before American Idol, you danced in the nude. You worked at a place that is called Dicks, and you didn't dance for any chicks. Now Seacrest likes you even more. Performing on Idol was your biggest dream. Danny Noriega's not the only queen. You say that you did it just for cash. Showed your junk and shook your ass. Will you get kicked right out the door? 'Cause you danced for some gays. You stripped yourself down. You sat on some laps and you wiggled around. You hoped we wouldn't know, but pictures don't lie. You grabbed at the pole and you went for a ride. You danced for some gays. It's all in the news. You say you love music, but you also love dudes. You danced for some gays. You danced for some. Fair. 11.32 at 5.60 WQM. I told you the faxes would come in here with uh, some bad lines. Mm-hmm. Here's uh, two of them. It says, from Dr. Strangelove, no fighting in the war room. You know what I say to that? No, no chance. But the other one's even better. Too long for the pool, it says, but from three days of the condor, you think not getting caught in lies is the same as telling the truth? Uh. To which I would say, well, at least whoever sent this is consistent. They both suck. I mean, not every line from every movie. We're going to put every line from every movie. It's going to be a long pull. Maybe we can do like a footsie on there and have it on for like months. There you go. Like the booger pull that he's got on. It's still on there, by the way. I checked the booger pull. We're into the finals, though. That means the last 45 episodes of the booger pull on footsie tootsie's uh, thing. It's not even his website anymore. It's the IOD website. Mm-hmm. He don't have his own website. No more. Think maybe they couldn't afford it. Possible. They're having issues, you know. They're having every, everybody's having issues these days. Thank you, Mr. President, by the way, for those incredible gas prices. And you notice how the airlines every day there's like more ten more of them go out of business. Yep. Thanks for those low uh, fuel prices, Mr. President. Thanks for all those dead people. Over four thousand now. I knew that once we passed four thousand, people would stop watching the Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, there was nobody at the Marlin game yesterday. I see the uh, announced crowd was ten thousand, and what was it about twenty five hundred, Chris? Yeah, I was going to say let's talk about that. Wow. And they got walloped, man. They got bushwhacked. Again. Mm-hmm. They won a couple of games, though, didn't they? They're they won three and two. three. They're three and three, baby. Those Marlins. We love the Marlins. And the Panthers did a good job. They made the playoffs again. Not. And they got a lot of chaos and the psychosis going on there. And Jack Martin is feuding with Ole Jokinen and, um, and Thomas Vokun. Can I say that? No. You're out, Jock. Jock Martin, he'll get fired this week. You watch. He's going to get his ass fired at it. Security officials snuffed out the Olympic torch and carried it through Paris in the safety of a bus at least five times today as chaotic protests against China's human rights record turned the relay into a chaotic series of stops and starts. Despite massive security, at least two activists got with almost an arm's length of the flame before they were grabbed by the police. 
flaming. A protester threw water at the torch but failed to extinguish it was taken away. Officers tackled numerous protesters and carried some away. Oh, they can't put out the Olympic torch. Well, let's uh, watch Torch Song Trilogy with Matthew Broderick. I just want to be loved. Is that so wrong? Harvey, what's his name? Harvey uh, Firestein. Firestein. At the start of the relay on the Eiffel Tower's first floor, Green Party activist Sylvain Garrel lunged for the first torchbearer, former hurdler Stefan Diagona, shouting, Freedom for the Chinese. Security officials pulled Garrel back. It is inadmissible that the games are taking place in the world's biggest prison, Garrel said. The procession continued, but a crowd of activists waving Tibetan flags soon interrupted it by confronting the torchbearer on a road along the Seine River. The demonstrators didn't appear to get within reach of the torch, but its flame was put out by security officers and put on board a bus to continue partway along the route. Flaming! Less than an hour later, the flame was being carried out of a traffic tunnel by a woman athlete in a wheelchair when a procession was halted by activists who booed and chanted, Tibet! Attica! Attica! Tibet! Once again, the torch was temporarily extinguished and put on a bus. The third time, security officials apparently interrupted the procession because they spotted demonstrators ahead. After the torch was put on a bus, protesters threw plastic bottles, cups, and pieces of bread at the vehicle and, a, and at a male wheelchair-bound athlete. The torch disappeared back inside the bus a fourth time shortly after a protester approached it with a fire extinguisher near the Louvre Art Museum. Police grabbed the demonstrator before it could start to spray. The flame was whisked into a bus again outside the National Assembly where protesters gathered. A session of Parliament was interrupted and a banner on the building reading, Respect for Human Rights in China. City Hall draped its building with a banner reading, Paris defends human rights around the world. Other demonstrators scaled the Eiffel Tower and Notre Dame Cathedral and hung banners depicting the Olympic rings as handcuffs. About 3,000 officers were deployed on motorcycles in jogging gear and with inline roller skates. Oh, George will be there for the inline skating. George and Joe Bell. Well, now you guys got a reason to bond. You can go That's out right. and uh, roller derby together. Well, I don't think he skates. I'm thin ice. And uh, well, then what's he doing there if he doesn't the, uh, skate? The women's roller derby is uh, a spectator sport for some I of see. us because we're not qualified having the wrong equipment. Didn't anybody tell you anything? I'd like to hear yeah. it from you. you. You get one hostage for the limousine that you bring me in. One hostage... One hostage for the jet. Then I get to the airport, I go into the plane, I check it all out, and if it's okay, then they all come out. I want to go inside. Why? See if everybody's all right. <laughs> I don't think too many people have seen this. It's 1975, Dog Day Afternoon. It is on Probably cable not. a lot. You know, what? Probably not. Attica! Attica! It's bizarre. It's strange. It's a classic. Everyone should see it. You're right. As jobs vanish and prices rise, food stamp use nears record. Oh, my God. Driven by a painful mix of layoffs and rising food and fuel prices, the number of Americans receiving food stamps is projected to reach 28 million in the coming year, the highest level since the aid program began in the 60s. I bet you Chris is going to be on food stamps before the end of this year. I hope not. Especially if uh, Norma Kant's got anything to do with it. Boy, that Norma. Oh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna overnight you this. I'm gonna send you that. We got this. Uh, yeah, you got you got. You know that song? I got plenty of nothing. Remember that? Mm-hmm. That's Norma. The number of recipients that's on food stamps, that is, who must have near property incomes to qualify for benefits averaging $100 a month per family member, has fluctuated over the years along with economic conditions, eligibility rules, enlistment drives, and natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina, which led to a big spike in the South. 
But recent rises in many states appear to be resulting mainly from the economic slowdown, officials and experts say, as well as inflation and prices of basic goods that leave more families feeling pinched. Citing expected growth in unemployment, the Congressional Budget Office this month projected a continued increase in the monthly number of recipients in the next fiscal year starting October 1 to 28 million, up from 27.8 million in 2008 and 26.5 million in 2007. The percentage of Americans receiving food stamps was higher after a recession in the 90s, but actual numbers are expected to be higher this year. Federal benefit costs are projected to rise to $36 billion in the 2009 fiscal year from $34 billion this year. People sign up for food stamps when they lose their jobs and their wages go down because their hours are cut, said Stacey Dean, director of food stamp policy at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities in Washington, who noted that 14 states saw their rules reach record numbers by last December. Thank you for that, too, Mr. President. One example is Michigan, where one in eight residents now receives food stamps. Our caseload has more than doubled since 2000. We're at all-time record level, said Maureen Sorbet, spokeswoman for the Michigan Department of Human Services. The climb in food stamp recipients there has been relentless through economic upturns and downturns, reflecting a steady loss of industrial jobs that has pushed recipient levels to new highs in Ohio and Illinois as well. We had a poverty here for a good while, Mrs. Ms. Sorbet said, contributing to the rise she had in Michigan, like many other states, has also worked to make more low-end workers aware of their eligibility, and a switch from coupons to electric debit cards has reduced the stigma. Yeah, you don't want to walk into the store with food stamps. No. To buy your big bottle of Chianti or Ripple, whatever it is, Grandma Boone. I don't think they let you buy alcohol with food stamps. You positive? Are no, you sure? No, I'm not. Are you sure? Never having tried. Well, I so think no. we've been on that before. We discussed that. I don't want to say that there's a lot of winos who use food stamps, you know, probably to buy right. like spam and stuff like that for a good, solid, nutritious meal. I think there are some people who deserve to be, who ought to be on food stamps. Does that sound insensitive? No. I think they deserve to not be. Well, they deserve to starve to death is what I should say. Not to be unfortunate, because we're paying for that. There's a lot of silence in this movie, Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah? What do you say? I was just talking to me about the arrangements. I talked to him. Yeah, don't screw up all his arrangements. Biggest names. The best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The Sports Leader. Found a nice dark corner and whipped out me Irish hose. Public urination on old St. Patty's Day. Public urination's why I'm in jail today. Oh, public urination, I'll not do it again. Cause in jail you have to do it in front of a hundred men. I told the judge how sorry I was for being dirty and lewd. He pounded his gavel and said to me, Son, I think you're screwed. Oh, public urination makes everybody blanch. Next time you got to go that bad, you'd best pee in your pants. And just say you got splashed, that's all. 14 till noon at 560 WQAM. Happy Monday to you. Now, let's see. Here's a fax from our good, close, personal friend Tracy and Kendall who says, uh, my entry for the pool today, and it says bad entry, and you're right. You're going to need a bigger boat from Jaws. What do you say to that? No. Yeah, whatever. 
Poll idea based on that. I like this poll idea, though, from Tracy. Which actor was most typecast by a character mm-hmm. he or she portrayed? That is a good idea. It's a great idea. I don't know the list here. I think, I don't know. We can Anthony Perkins is Norman Bates. Perfect. John mm-hmm. Cazale is Fredo. Perfect. Sean Connery is James Bond. Perfect. Yep. Faye Dunaway is Joan Crawford. I don't think so. No. She was, she's been in too many different things. Correct. But still. No. We can leave it on there. <laughs> the scene well. with Mommy Dearest that I love is when, when Joan Crawford, when uh, the daughter is sick, she's the soap opera actress, and Joan Crawford fills in and keeps forgetting the, the lines. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that scene is just beautiful. She's like 60 there portraying a 20-year-old. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Marlon Brando is Don Corleone. Uh, Not for me. He's made so many movies before. Yeah, that. that's true. And James Gandolfini is Tony Soprano, of course. Yes. Also, Tracy says, I'd like to have some of your expert Amsterdam advice. Please, my husband and I will be in Amsterdam two to three days at the end of June. Any suggestions or recommendations would be greatly appreciated. Right there on the dam rack, Tracy, uh, eat a lot at McDonald's and KFC right next door, and you'll be safe. The food blows. It's not just bad. It blows. Horrendous. What other recommendation? I mean, it depends on how much money they want right. to spend for smoke a hotel. A lot of what? Yeah, smoke a lot of dope while you still can. Barbizon Palace is a great hotel. The Krasnopolsky right there on that damn square is good. Or the Swiss Hotel. The Swiss Hotel on the... Uh, it's not as good, but it's okay. The good location right on the damn rack. Damn square and the damn rack and those damn Dutch. And, of course, uh, I don't know what else to say. You know, well, What's there to say anymore? Just wander around. You'll have a good time, Tracy. You'll love it. Maybe. if By the end of June, who knows? Maybe I got some to add some obvious choices on here. What? For this poll that she sent in, which was a good poll, but she left some glaring omissions out. Well, I mean, she just gave us a start. What's right. wrong with that? Nothing. So I got some more. Don't you like? Like William Shatner is uh, Kirk, Captain Kirk, and Adam West is Batman. Right. And Burt Ward is Robin with those green tights. <laughs> what are you laughing about? You and those tights. Yeah. And trust me when I tell you. So, I, Oh, speaking of that, I looked up Stephen Strait. I Googled it. Yeah. Oh, before I get to that, Anthony says, Long-time listener left that hellhole called South Florida two years ago, but missed your show. How about the famous line from Airplane, Surely you can't be serious, and I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Leslie Nielsen, we're talking about him on Friday. Maybe the funniest person alive. Leslie Nielsen, certainly one of the top ten. He's hysterical. Okay. Like Connie, remember, she's hysterical. Mm-hmm. And you know the things you do? Yeah. I know what I do. You stick a gun to somebody's head. Yeah, well, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm fine with that. Yeah. Uh, Cheryl, now, you want to put that on there or not? It's too long. Yeah, I don't care. I am serious. Don't call me Shirley. What about if we're going to use that movie, what about, uh, have you ever seen a grown man naked? naked? Peter Graves? Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I haven't seen him naked, no. I don't want to see him naked. So anyway, somebody I do want to see naked desperately, Stephen Strait. Although you come about as close to seeing him naked in uh, The Covenant as you ever will, I'm sure. Um... Although there is one, there's a locker room scene where the blonde, his blonde buddy, one of the uh, kids with the spell, with that, uh, he's uh, running around naked. You see ass. I see. You know, see one ass, you've seen them all pretty much. That's not true. Anyway, Stephen Strait, born March 23rd, 1986, which would make him 22. What a nice age. Is an actor, fashion model, and rock singer. Ask me a singer, I'll bet. Really? I don't know. Well, maybe he's a great musician. Who the hell knows? I doubt it, though. He was born and born and raised in Greenwich Village, attended Xavier High School, took classes at the Stella Adler Studio of Acting, 
During his teenage years, he modeled for Luomo Vogue, Spoon Magazine, Detail, Service, Hollister Company, and Pop Magazine, and worked with photographers Bruce Weber Herberts and Ellen Von Unworth. Weber featured straight in his 2001 book, All American Short Stories. And it goes on about his acting career. Here's the personal thing. In 2006, and she is so mious. Oh, when you, use that, when you use that term, what a waste. In 2006, Drake began dating actress Lynn Collins. In the February 2008 issue of Teen Vogue, Strait announced he was engaged. His marriage to Lynn Collins was confirmed in the March 2008 issue of GQ magazine, to which I can say, Oh, my God. What a waste. Oh, do you know who she is, Lynn Collins? I'm um, Google imaging her right now because oh. I've never heard of her. Has she been Lynn in something? Lynn Collins. Look at a picture of that. Uh, she is, I mean, you know, looks hard at everything, and thank God for that. Again. He's the lead singer of a band named The Tribe. However, due to his upcoming movie roles, the band has found a new singer, George, fronting the band for the live shows they perform, uh, yada, yada, yada. The tribe is signed to Lakeshore Records and scheduled to record and release a full-length album. Now, you seeing Lynn Collins? I can't get a good picture of her. Maybe that's there, saying you know something. something. There's no such thing as a good picture of her. She well, seems, what do you mean uh, by that? Uh, I don't know. She's nondescript. She's gross. She is ugly, man. She is butt ugly. Ugly. In fact, Ooh. here, okay. go to yeah. IMDb. I got a photo of her right now. Yeah. Mia. No, yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. She looks like a, about a 25-cent hooker. She is Mia. Oh, but maybe she's got something that, you know, don't meet the eye. <laughs> I don't, she's not, well, she's I don't know got, what uh, that means in, uh, in the case of women. Uh, she's got big boobs, which not do really. meet the eye. Not really. How do you know? You're not on the same picture I'm on. You're not on the same picture I'm looking at. She's got a huge pair. And I bet you he does, too. Not boobs, necessarily. So, anyway, there you go. There's uh, Lynn Collins. He's married to her. Well, good for him. What? Yeah. I bet you she ain't never seen it, though. (laughs) What? The covenant? It's one of those marriages of convenience, like that. It's just a so I have to listen to it. I can't, but I, I can't survive in prison, Sonny. Oh, Leah, you're not going to prison. Nobody's going well, to... Well, how do you know? Because I know you're not going to prison. Believe me. Well, look, please. Please, what? what, what do you Just want to tell him. Just tell him what? Leon's got a lot of those runaway S's, doesn't she? Yes. She's got, I guess Leon's got some issues. By the way, with Annika, Sal, did we ever get that? Annika, what? Did we ever get Sal as the name of, uh, you know, Fredo? Oh, Sal, that's the character that uh, John, John Cazale Cazale, plays right. Sal, right, yeah, Fredo. Sal. And the cell in the end. Uh oh. See, now why would you do that? You just got done saying how nobody's seen this movie and they should go see it, and you go ruining it to make it no point. What difference does it make? Because maybe some people like to not know what's going to happen in the movie. They think that they're going to get away. Is that what they think? How about they don't know what's going to happen? How about people don't know? How about people don't know what's going to happen in a movie? That's why they watch it. Too bad. Don't watch it. Don't watch it now. Watch the Covenant instead. My favorite line from a movie is, we got 110 votes on this already. Now, what do we have on the other one? We'll never make a total of 1,000 today, even with a new poll. Sorry, Chris. We had a bad start. When you start to pull on what? 6.59. 6.59 and what? So we got uh, close to 800 now. Like I said, we got an outside shot. I doubt it. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse, 26. Leave the gun, take the cannoli, 22. Go ahead, make my day, 10. I'm dying over here, 9. Say hello to my widow friend, 8. Bond, James Bond, six. That leaves me like limp. You talking to me, five. You fairy, four. 
I'll have what she's having four. Just walk away, three. Be afraid, be very afraid, two. Play it, Sam, and then play it again, two. See, he doesn't say play it again, Sam. Never said it. Right. Three now. Uh, do you know who I am? I'm Mo Green's got two. I have no idea why. Ute? What, what's a ute? Two. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Two. I'll be back. Two. Get the honey, Junior. One. Life is like a box of chocolates. One. And none. If you build it, they will come or it's not a tuma. It's not a tuma. I'll see you in my dreams, huh? <laughs> I don't think so, Leon. Woo! 1156 at 560 WQAM. Well, uh, it beat at 12 to 1 hour on WQAM. When I'm on the campaign trail, it's my job to talk smack. I tell some wild stories to cut down Barack. And I won't let up until Hillary's won. So I'll hammer away, cause I'm Bad Bill Clinton. Bad Bill Clinton. Bad Bill Clinton. Bad. Bill. Bad. Bad Bill Clinton. And when I make a speech, people's eyes open wide. And Obama shrieks, cause he thinks that I've lied. Man, I'll mess with me, baby. Slinging mud is such fun. So go vote for my lady, cause I'm Bad Bill Clinton. Bad Bill Clinton. <laughs> Bad Bill Clinton. Bad. Bill. Bad. Bad Bill Clinton. Okay, 12 noon at 560 WQM. Happy Monday to you. Maureen Dodd's got a column in the New York Times today. You want to hear it? Do it. Ready or not, here it comes. Right. The Vodka Chronicles. <laughs> she says, John McCain's saucy mother says her boy was always a scamp and a hellraiser, and one of the senator's great charms is that he wore those appellations proudly. So it was quite disheartening Thursday to see McCain's spokeswoman telling the Associated Press in a story about how Cindy McCain helped her husband's political career bloom with her multi-million dollar fortune from the family beer business that the senator is a virtual teetotaler. Senator McCain rarely, if ever, drinks alcohol, Jill Hazelbaker averred. McCain's pals know him as a man who enjoys libations of vodka with little green cocktail olives. Over the years at dinners with reporters, I noted he had the habit of ordering one double vodka and sipping it slowly. And there was that famous Hillary McCain Estonian drink-off in 2004 when Hillary instigated a vodka shot contest and McCain agreed with alacrity even though he later offered a sketchy denial. Maybe now that he's the presumptive Republican nominee, his campaign wants to put his vices in a vice and sanitize the wild side of the man whose nicknames in high school were Punk, Nasty, and McNasty. Next, they'll deny he likes to gamble in Vegas. I'll put 50 grand on Bomb Iran with 3-to-1 odds, socialize with liberals, and lash out at people who annoy him. As a toddler, he had tiny rages. I would go off in a mad frenzy and then suddenly crash to the floor unconscious, he wrote. His parents would drop him into a bathtub of icy water. At his campaign... What is it? I can't... There, there's a line oh. here that's missing. Well, that's the way it goes, you know. It says, if his campaign is bodlerizing, bold, bold, let's hope it stops before he's a bland McNice. Bodlerizing? What is that? I don't know. Never heard of that. Well, that's Marine again. She, she comes up with words that haven't been invented yet, that aren't even the dictionary. 
Americans, after all, don't trust candidates without any vices. They got turned off by the picture-perfect Mitt Romney, whose khakis were never wrinkled and whose hair stayed eerily in place even while he was jogging in a campaign commercial. Do we really need McCain obfuscating on drinking and Obama putting up a smoke screen on smoking? Ever since Chicago reporters followed the up-and-coming Obama and saw him flicking his ashes and butts out the windows of moving vehicles, the senators had a testy relationship with the press about his addictions to cigarettes and littering. Obama wrote one reporter on his blog as one of those reprehensible nicotine addicts who seems to believe that his world is his ashtray. When Chris Matthews tried to pin Obama down on when he'd had his last cigarette, he radiated, radiated guilt, even though he dryly noted that having your wife say on 60 Minutes that if you see Barack with a cigarette, let me know was a heck of a deterrent. I fell off the wagon a couple of times during the course of it and then was able to get back on, the candidate admitted, but it's a struggle like everything else. In his book and last week's bio tour, McCain painted himself as a cool bad boy. He was a girl-loving, authority-defying, plane-crashing top gun. In his memoir, Obama played up his vices to depict himself as a cool bad boy, too, recalling that he had smoked pot and done a little blow. But now the two men are sticking to the straight and narrow. Everyone may imagine that Obama and his press corps spent all their time quaffing champagne and celebrating the astonishment of his very being, but the candidate is boringly abstemious. Abstemious? What? And reporters traveling with him find him aloof. Reading her columns is just, it's a real treat because there are words that, like I said, Always, every time. And reporters traveling with him find him aloof. On a 2005 trip to Russia, he priggishly requested that his vodka shot glass be filled with water. Oddly, Hillary, a Tracy flick goody two-shoes growing up, is the only one who seems to be enjoying her vices, even beyond the delight she takes in the dark and costly Mark Penn, now gone, and the gusto with which she bedazzled her resume and then bedazzled some more when she got caught bedazzling. Her campaign doesn't deny that she likes to kick back at the end of a long day with the vodka on her plane. But Clinton is a cautionary tale about what happens if you surrender too many cherished vices, curtailed from Berkeley, international jet-setting, cholesterol chowing and race-baiting, Bill has gotten raspy and lost his legendary charm. He blew up at a California superdelegate who objected that Bill Richardson, a former Clinton cabinet member, was being painted as Judas because he wasn't willing to transfer his affections from Bill to Hillary and no doubt one day to Chelsea. The ex-pres railed against the political elite and said it was a bunch of bull that there were calls for Hillary to leave the race. In Lawrenceburg, Indiana, he dubbed himself a rural hitman for his wife. Churlish Bill doesn't even follow his own advice. According to the Clinton tax returns, he gave only a million dollars to charity out of the 6.3 million he made for his book, Giving, even though his income has gone up 6,900% since his White House years. Let the big dog off his leash. There can be virtue in a little vice, says Maureen. Adorned with several words in there that haven't been invented. I think she just makes some of them up. Maybe. How would we know? We wouldn't. I guess we could look them up. But let's not. 134 votes on your poll, Chris. I do like that poll about uh, actors or actresses who are typecast. Right. Tracy from Kendall, who initially sent that, wanted to add um, Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter. No. Ain't never seen that. Ain't never going to see it. But I know Well, you might want to see him now that he's uh, grown up. I might? Yeah. Why, he looks good? So they've said... The girls are all goo goo gaga. I'll pass. I'll stick with Stephen. I'll string, send you okay? a picture. All those girls can't be. Yeah, wrong. send me pictures of Harry's Potters. Frank Rich says Ted happened and no one cared. Do I have time for this before the break? I I don't know. It's long. In fact, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It says really, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton should be ashamed of themselves for libeling John McCain, as the growing chorus reiterates that re- their refrains that Mr. McCain is willing to send our troops into another hundred years of war in Iraq, as Mr. Obama said, are willing to keep this war going for a hundred years, per Ms. Clinton, are flat out wrong. 
What Mr. McCain actually said in a New Hampshire town hall meeting was that he could imagine a 100-year-long American rule in Iraq, like our long-term presence in South Korea and Japan, where Americans are not being injured or harmed or wounded or killed. See for yourself on YouTube, it says, and you can click on the link on the Frank Rich column. But Mr. McCain shouldn't protest too much about the Democrats' bogus attack. For him, this sideshow is a political lifeline, allowing him to skate away from his many other far more worrying canards about Iraq. If anything, that misused quote may be one of his more benign fairy tales. How delightful to fantasize that staying the Bush betrayal's course will transform Iraq into Pacific post-war Japan. Iraq's sects have remained at each other's throats since their country was carved out of the Ottoman Empire after World War I. Perhaps magical thinking can bring peace to Israel and the Palestinians, too. Everything else Mr. McCain has to say about Iraq is more troubling, and I don't mean just his recent serial gaffe conflating Shiite Iran and Sunni Qaeda. The sum total of his public record suggests that he could well prolong the war for another century, not because he's the crazed militarist portrayed by the Democrats, but through sheer inertia, bad judgment, and blundering. So far, his bizarre pronouncements have been drowned out by the Democrats' din. They've also been underplayed by a press that coddles old man straight talk and that really looks more deeply into the surge of success propaganda than it did to Mr. Bush's announcement of the end of major combat operations five years ago. The electorate doesn't want to hear much anyway about a war long ago soundly rejected. For the, Ameri- for the majority of Americans who haven't met any of the brave troops who have been cavalierly tossed into the quagmire, the war is out of sight and mind in a way Vietnam really never was. Only 28% of Americans knew American casualties in Iraq were nearing 4,000 last month, according to the Pew Research Center. The Project for Excellence in Journalism found that by March 2008, the percentage of prominent news stories that were about Iraq had fallen to about a fifth of what was in January 2007. It's a poignant commentary on the whole war that Iraq and Afghanistan veterans of America, the nonpartisan advocacy group, was reduced to protesting the lack of coverage. That's why it's no surprise that so few stopped to absorb the disastrous six-day battle of Basra that ended last week, a mini-tet that belied the success of the surge. Even fewer noticed that the presumptive Republican nominee seemed at least as oblivious to what was going on as President Bush, no tiny feet. You think John McCain's got tiny feet? Gee, I don't want to know. And it goes on. Frank Rich column ripping McCain an ass he so richly deserves. So anyway, I think he looks yes. like a Martian, but I sent you a uh, really gay picture that all the girls are goo-goo-ga-ga about. Of Harry Potter? Potter. Of, uh, Daniel Radcliffe in these uh, stage play. He did that play Equus where he ran around naked a lot, and all the women are swooning, and the gay uh, guys too. So yeah, they're probably go. swooning about that ugly uh, broad. The guys are probably swooning about, uh, what's his name's wife? What's his name? Stephen Strait. The one I just, uh, you just Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that listen, guy. Both of them are so out of my mind. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they got nothing I'm interested in. Neither one of them. Well, on Saturday night, Ricky Ticky Sanchez was hyperventilating, and CNN was in just in superheat mode about the story in El Dorado, Texas. And Ricky Ticky Sanchez was on there, just just uh, going nuts. More than 200 women and children have been removed from a Texas ranch's home. That that's home. Let me try it again. From a Texas ranch that's home to members of a polygamous sect, but authorities haven't identified the girl yet who called them with allegations of abuse. The 16-year-old girl who called authorities last week with allegations of physical and sexual abuse at the compound may be in the group and using a different name. Marley Meisner, a spokeswoman for Texas Child Protective Services, said at a news conference yesterday. I'm confident that this girl does indeed exist, Meisner said. I'm confident that the allegations she brought forth are accurate. Since Thursday, authorities have removed 159 children and 60 adults from the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints compound in El Dorado, Texas. Eighteen of the girls have been taken into state custody. Authorities believe all had been abused or at the immediate risk of future abuse, a state spokesman said. The others are now housed in a shelter in San Angelo, about 45 miles north of El Dorado, where they've been questioned about abuse. 
It's certainly emotional for the children, but they're with caretakers, people that are accustomed to being with at the time, Meisner said. Many of the adults at the shelter are parents or relatives of the children, she said. Warren Jeffs, the 52-year-old leader and prophet of the 10,000-member FLDS, was convicted in Utah last year on two counts of being accomplice to rape charges related to a marriage he performed in 2001. He still faces trial in Arizona on eight charges of sexual conduct with a minor, uh, something incest and conspiracy. Critics of the sect say it forces girls as young as 13 into arranged marriages. These are good religious folks, by the way. Keep that in mind. Right. Meisner said the adults cooperated with the child protection officials as authorities continue their search for more children. An arrest warrant was served last week for Dale Evans Barlow, 50, who authorities believe fathered a child with a 16-year-old girl he had married. As of Saturday night, Barlow hadn't been found, and child welfare workers couldn't confirm whether the girl or her child had been found. The Rogue Church bought 1,900 acres near El Dorado four years ago and built what it calls the YFZ Ranch, now home to as many as 400 members who moved from compounds in Arizona and Utah. YFZ is a reference to a song written by Jeff's Yearning for Zion. Previous visits by CNN revealed the ranch was guarded by armed men equipped with night vision gear and other high-tech surveillance tools to prevent intruders. Now, what was the other one? The um, oh, well, they burned everybody up. What that was that one called? The the one in Waco, the Branch yeah. Davidians. The Branch Davidians in Waco, baby. More good religionists <laughs> like that. David Koresh. Oh yeah, remember that? Remember the day on IOD when they sure. burned? Sure, we'll do the play-by-play. The, the smoke uh, was burned by burn. the windows, and yeah, they were. They had this burning love for Jesus. Oh, no, not, not that kind. <clears throat> not that kind of burning. Yeah, we took a couple of calls on Friday. I wish you'd have been here. All right. So, I'm, uh, I'm really glad I wasn't. Why not? Cordes was with us, Josh Cordes. Yeah. A little bit on the surly side, if you ask me, but he's all right. I don't blame him. Well, it was his he idea for the calls. What? It was his idea for the calls. It was his and idea to try to take a couple of calls, and, you know, so he deserved what he got. Some people never learn, yeah. So George will be at Gulfstream this Friday from 10 to 2 in his usual spot. And this time, since I'm not going to be taking off early or going anywhere, this time I'm going to win you some real serious uh, money. Right. About 30, man. I'm telling you. That, that doesn't mean that Tara can't sit there and give me some tips, too. She can sit right in your lap. Maybe you can hurt him. Oh, she's gone, though. Never mind. Rogers, she won't miss her, though. The Sports Leader. Good morning, Mickey Mouse's office, Goofy speaking. Good morning, Goofy. How are you? It's Robert Iger, President and CEO of the Walt Disney Company. Oh, it's not a good day. What's wrong, Goofy? Mickey's convalescing. He had surgery. Oh, geez, I didn't hear anything about it. What happened? Well, I'll let him tell you. Please hold. Okay. What? How you doing, boss? I'm not feeling well. Yeah, Goofy told me he had some surgery. What's wrong? They had to put a new anus in me. A what, sir? Yeah, and I'm a cartoon character. I don't even poop. Uh, sir, I, I don't even know what to say to that. I'm... Tell me about it. I, why would you put a new anus in somebody who doesn't poop? Uh, yeah, that's anyway, a... what do you want? Well, I'm just returning your call, sir. No, I didn't call you. Yes, sir, I got a message with them. I didn't minutes. call you. Well. What do you want? I thought you want to talk about... The... Oh, I do remember. I called you. Why didn't you call me back? I'm calling you back now, sir. Yeah, I know, but you should have called me back before. I want to talk about Dancing with the Stars. Oh, what a fantastic season. Big numbers for the program. It needs a new anus because it poops. This show's terrible. Sir, what do you mean? It's fantastic. Oh, for crying out loud, why can't we get a star? Sir, we've got... 
wide array of stars on the program. Marley Macklin. Yeah? Marley Macklin. She's an Oscar winner. She's thief. She's what, sir? Thief. She's a thief? I said she's thief. Are you? Sir, I don't follow. I'm putting the emphasis on the E, thief, for comedic purposes. Oh. Do me a favor. Tell that Samantha Harris when she's interviewing Marley Macklin. There's no need to put the microphone in front of her face. You know why? She's deep. She's deep. That's exactly right. Okay, sir. You're wearing me out. Do the windows in your office open? No, sir. I believe they're sealed. Then you know what you got to do? Yeah. Take a chair, mm -hmm. smash the window, right. and follow it out and try to catch it before it hits the ground. Well, sir, wouldn't I perish when I hit the ground? Uh-huh. Hmm. We got Steve Putenberg on the show with the stupid faces, and you're you telling me Pendulette's a star? Well, sir, he's quite a popular magician. We should have went with the other one. But he doesn't speak. Hey, why not skip a year or two and maybe get somebody that one or two people recognize? But, sir, they're all stars. Who's the Mexican? The Mexican, sir? Uh-huh. I don't believe there's a Mexican. There's a Mexican on there. Oh, you mean Christian de la Fuente. He's a huge Latin TV star. And, sir, he's not actually Mexican. He's uh, Chilean. Oh. He's what? Chilean. 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 Say it. Chilean. 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 Who cares? Hey, you got Christy Yamaguchi's phone number handy? I love me a gymnast, man. Oh, actually, she was a figure skater, sir. Whatever, she's bendable. Yeah, she's very dependable. I mean, she really practices. Not dependable, bendable. Cheryl Burke, sir? Yeah, the dancer girl. She's been on every year. She's on this year with the Mexican. The Chilean. Chilean! Right. Why ain't she Chilean down with me, Eisner? It's Iger, sir. Huh? It's Iger, sir. Oh, whatever. Well, don't call me again, please. Okay, sir. I have a new anus. I heard that. I need your help later. Get that thing working. Working? Get over here this afternoon with a hose, huh? Rectum. Okay, 1219, and, um... I don't know who this is. One of our regular faxes. It says, number one line from Dog Day Afternoon, kiss me. I like to be kissed while I'm being effed. Yeah, I remember that line. I didn't know it was from uh, Dog Day. I guess it was, if they say so. And you know what I say about that? No chance. No. Is that a line that anybody repeats? Nope. Is that a line that anybody remembers even? Nope. No. At any rate. 150 some odd votes on the poll. What do we got? 150 what, Chris? 156. Woo! Favorite line from a movie is, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse, 32. Leave the gun, take the cannoli, 29. There you go. Godfather battle. Go ahead, make my day, 13. Say hello to my little friend, 12. I'm dying over here. I'm dying over here. Nine. You talking to me, nine. Bond, James Bond, six. You fairy. You fairy. Six. I'll have what she's having, six. Be afraid. Be very afraid, five. Utes? What's a ute? Five. Just walk away, four. Play it again. Play, no, I see that. I start to say that because that's what we all say. It's not what he said. Right. Play it, Sam, and then play it again. Three. You hated that movie, right? You must yes, remember yes, this. Yes. And rightfully I so. It sucked. Has a blanket. Blue. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Three. I'll be back. Three. You know who I am? I'm Mo Green, too. Get the honey, Junior, one. If you build it, they will come, one. Life is like a box of chocolates, one. It's not a tumor. One out of 150, some odd. 
Favorite line from a movie. Torture at Guantanamo was sanctioned by the most senior advisors to the President, the Vice President, and the Secretary of Defense, according to the international lawyer and professor of law at the University of College London, Philippe Sands. I wonder if he's related to Ryan Philippi. I'll ask. Philippe, what? I'll ask. Who has conducted a forensic exam of the chain of command leading from the top of the administration to the camp at Guantanamo, Vanity Fair reports on the newsstands this week. The article directly contradicts the administration's account to Congress, which placed responsibility on military commanders and interrogators on the ground for the practices banned by the Geneva Conventions. Sands reports that these senior advisors faced a real risk of criminal investigation if they set foot outside the U.S., despite the Military Commissions Act signed into law by President Bush in 2006. The hitch is that their immunity is good only within U.S. borders, and rather than protecting them, the act may lead to an eventual investigation by foreign governments. For some, the future may hold a tap on the shoulder. Sands consulted a judge and prosecutor in a major European city, both of whom are familiar with these sorts of cases. The prosecutor called the act very stupid, ex explaining that it would make it much easier for investigators outside the U.S. to argue that possible war crimes would never be addressed in their home country. It's a matter of time, the judge told Sands, and then something unexpected happens when one of those lawyers travels to the wrong place. Sands talks with everyone from high-level members of the administration to soldiers on the ground at Gitmo, among them Douglas Fyth, former Undersecretary of Defense, General Richard Myers, former Joint Chiefs Chairman, and Lieutenant Colonel Diane Beaver, who was charged with writing a document providing legal authority for harsh interrogation. <laughs> Leave it to Diane Beaver. I don't, think that's your, I don't think that show could be on the air today. It's probably on Nickelodeon, isn't it? It's on one of those. The wife watches it all the time. Does she really? Yeah, I don't know why. There's How's nothing Wally else on. doing? He's just fine. Still wearing those thin black belts, those plastic yeah, belts? Yeah, his doofy, boofy hair. It's all there. Yeah. Tony Dow as the beaver. No, Tony Dow wasn't the beaver. Uh, Mad Mathers. Jerry Mathers Jerry as the beaver. Very good. Tony Hugh Dow Beaumont and Barbara Billingsley. Right. Well, that's back in the 50s, man, when everything was very simple and very... Uh, Boring, and nobody did anything yeah. exciting. And, uh, like Ozzie and Harriet. Mm -hmm. $3 trillion estimate may be too low, our original estimate. Joseph Stiglitz and Linda Bilmey say our original estimate of the cost of the Iraq War was too conservative. In reality, the cost for the U.S. will be much higher. Oh, what's $3 trillion among friends? Boy, I could sure have a good time with that. President Bush has tried to give the impression that the $3 trillion estimate of the total cost of the war that we provide in our new book may be exaggerated, they say. We believe that it is, in fact, conservative. Even the president would have to admit that the 50 to $60 billion estimate given by the administration before the war was wildly off the mark. There's little reason to have any confidence in their arithmetic. They admit to a cost so far of $600 billion. Our numbers differ from theirs for three reasons. First, we're estimating the total cost of the war under alternative conservative scenarios derived from the Defense Department and Congressional Budget Office. We're not looking at McCain's 100-year scenario. We assume that we are there in diminished strength only through the 2017. But neither are we looking at a scenario that sees our troops pulled out within six months with operational spending going on at $12 billion a month and with every year costing more than the last, it's easy to come to a total operational cost that is double the $600 billion already spent. Second, we include war expenditures hidden elsewhere in the budget and budgetary expenditures that we would have to incur in the future even if we left tomorrow. Most important of these are future costs of caring for the 40% of returning veterans that are likely to suffer from disabilities in excess of $600 billion. Second World War veterans cost didn't peak until 1993 and restoring the military to its pre-war strength. If you include interest and interest on the interest with all the war debt financed, the budgetary costs quickly mount. 
Finally, our $3 trillion estimate also uh, includes costs to the economy that go beyond the budget. For instance, the cost of caring for the huge number of returning disabled veterans that go beyond the cost borne by the federal government. In one out of five families with a serious disability, someone has to give up a job. The macroeconomic costs are even larger. Almost every expert we've talked to agrees that the war has had something to do with the rise in the price of oil. It wasn't just an accident that oil prices began to soar at the same time that the war began. Thank you again, Mr. President, for those high gas prices. We've been criticized, but for being excessively conservative, for including only 5 to $10 of the 75 to $85 increase in the price of oil since then. Money spent on the war on a Nepalese contractor working in Iraq doesn't stimulate the economy as much as money spent on hospitals or research or schools at home. These contradictory efforts were temporarily covered up, hidden by the flood of liquidity and tax regulations that led to the housing bubble and a consumption boom, with household savings plummeting to zero. But this simply postponed paying these costs and increased them. With the exception of a few lonely surviving supply-siders, most economists believe that deficits matter, and the huge deficits to finance the war will have their toll in the long run. Deficits matter in both the short run and the long run. They help crowd out private investment that would have stimulated the economy far more than war expenditures, and the reduced investments reduce long-run productivity. With 40% of the funds borrowed from abroad, Americans will be sending interest payments abroad, lower living standards at home. Finally, even Chairman Bernanke, formerly the President's economic advisor, admits that the deficits have reduced the room to maneuver the ability of government to respond to the looming economic crisis. Spending so much on the war has economic consequences, even if you don't think there's any connection between the war and the economy's current woes. In adding up the quantifiable cost of the war, it's not hard to come up with a number in excess of $3 trillion. In putting a $3 trillion price tag on the war, we believe we have been excessively conservative. A 4 or $5 trillion tag would be more reasonable. And remember, this is just the cost for America. Biggest names. The best sports leader. Whoa. A bitch named Joyce said no fart noise Took away our sound effects toys Gave up, haven't farted since then She wants to assassinate The only show that gets the bills paid Gave up, haven't farted since then Well, she'll do anything it takes To defend and validate The behavior of corporate reprobate Gave up haven't parted since then She'll go as far as suing herself To make our life a stinking hell Gave up, haven't parted since then Don't do this and don't say that Unless you're a hardcore sport hole fan Gave up, haven't parted since then Well, what floats in the toilet bowl is what she knows about radio She wants to destroy our show Gave up, haven't farted since then Gave up, haven't farted since then from 32 at 560 WQM, happy Monday to you In an interview Sunday on CNN, one time and It's interesting the way this is worded One time gay conservative pundit Andrew Sullivan He's not gay anymore That's the way it's worded, mm-hmm. isn't that ridiculous? Yes Andrew Sullivan asserted that Bush officials who worked on a memo authorizing legal use of torture should not leave the country because they will at some point be indicted for war crimes. Sullivan cited specifically former Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, one-time White House lawyer John Yu, who penned the so-called 2003 torture memo, and Dave Addington, Vice President Cheney's then lawyer and now chief of staff. That's Cheney. 
according to Chris Matthews. Don't forget Dick Cheney. Not Cheney, Cheney. He hangs out in the Cheney Alps. A deal to allow delegates from Florida and Michigan to participate at the DNC is unlikely before summer party chief Howard Dean said yesterday. Dean said that was partly because presidential candidates Hillary Rodham Clinton and Barack Obama want to focus on the coming round of contest two weeks from tomorrow, Pennsylvania. And by the way, the latest Pennsylvania poll? Yeah. They just showed on CNN a little while ago she's only seven point ahead. Next okay. on the schedule, what? I said, okay. Well, she was like in double digits. And then it was down to low double digits, 12, and then 11, and now down to 7. And dropping like Iraq. 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 Yeah. Next on the schedule, Pennsylvania, April 22, Indiana, North Carolina on May 6, followed by several other states in U.S. territories. Voting ends June 3rd. But he continued to express confidence that an agreement could be reached to see delegates from both states. It's going to take some time to work that out because these candidates are really focused on these primary battles in Pennsylvania and West Virginia and North Carolina and so forth and so on, Dean told Space the Nation on CBS. And so it's going to take some time to work this out. But I think we can work it out. I want to work it out. He said, we're going to play the Beatles. We can work it out. It's a great song, but don't play it. I might. Don't. If you know what's good for you, don't. Boy, it's sunny. It's beautiful outside. I don't think I'm going to hang around here, too. Here's George. Hey, how you doing, everybody? And here are the Beatles. Don't you dare. During a separate interview on ABC's This Week, Dean said I... During a separate interview on ABC's This Week, Dean said I agree when asked whether a solution will have to wait until after the last Democratic contest in South Dakota and Montana on June 3rd and after the remaining superdelegates have said which candidate they support. The DNC, we have to keep reading about this. Florida and Michigan and Michigan and Florida. But a beep, but a boop, but a bop. Both states have abandoned their plans to do holdover contests, but are demanding to be included in the process. Dean has had talks with officials from both states, but says Obama and Clinton must be part of any deal. The former First Lady trails Obama both in a popular vote and pledged delegates to one of the primaries and caucuses, and has said that she will take her fight to, for the nomination to the August convention if Denver, in Denver if necessary. So in other words, screw the party and screw the country. It's all about what's good for Swillery, no matter how divisive it is, no matter how good it is for McCain. Screw everybody is what she's saying. Am I right? Yes. That's it. Green has also urged the superdelegates, the nearly 800 elected and other Democratic officials who are free to vote for whomever they choose, to take a position soon after the voting ends to avoid a convention fight. More than half the superdelegates have said which candidate they will support. With only two candidates left, Dean said the nominee should be evident by June 1. Unless this is a dead heat, there's no reason to go to Denver if the unpledged delegates will make their preferences clear and the voters will make their preferences clear, which will be by the 3rd of June. Then we'll know who our nominee is, and we can win, Dean said on CBS. But a beat, but a boop, but about. Whatever that means. There's Ali F. Felching again on CNN. He's just, he, he's like wallpaper on there, you know what I mean? He's like, like Ricky Sanchez, the two of them. They're on there, and, and Candy Cowley. She's like fat wallpaper. Am I right? Yes. Yep. I'll take your word for it. I don't watch that crap. 200. Why do I watch it? Because I have to. I don't want to watch it. I'd, I'd rather watch the end of Drug Day Afternoon. I'll find it. It's probably over by now, wouldn't you think? We'll find out. Weird Science. Oh, Weird Science. Isn't that the movie with uh, John Stockwell? No blood, no decay, just a few stitches. Isn't that the movie I'm thinking of with Weird Science? Uh, no. With, uh, no? No. Or My Science Project. Was that it? Maybe that was it. Losing it. Well, that, that's another one. What, what? <laughs> What'd you do, Google it? No, I was talking about you. You're losing it. No, that was the name of the movie. <laughs> with Tom, Tommy Cruise. Weird science. Billable hours. 
Earth of Final Conflict, Nash Bridges, Melrose Place, Bell of the Yukon, Noobs, Trapeze, Death Wish War, The Virgin Suicides, and... Ah, they're at commercial. Dog Day Afternoon. It's not over yet. What time does it finish? 12.40. Oh, and it's finished. What a shame. How huh? We just missed the end. Oh, well. Some people deserve to die. How far are you prepared to go? All the way. Now, I'm really pissed off. <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's a good line, but we're not going to put it on there. Mm-hmm. Now I'm really pissed off. That's cute. Wouldn't you say? No? You don't like it? So many lines in so little time. Just the Godfather ones, and the ones from uh, Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Get the chalk! Hey, oh, get yeah. the chalk! Put me on the Cadillac board! And then the whole, uh, you fairy. Where did you learn right. the trade, you idiot? Whoever told you that you could work with men? What you're hired for is to help us. Does that seem clear to you? To help us. To help men who are going out there to try to earn a living. You company man. You fairy. <laughs> Biggest names. The best talent. Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The Sports Leader. Hey, Neil. This is Randy West. And as per our phone conversation, I talked to Peter North the other day. He tells me your real name is Neil Down. And he still ain't interested. If you love those great songs from those great mafia movies, you flip over real mob hits. Not only does real mob hits give you more of that great mob music... But you also get awesome sounds of real mob hits, like Luca the Ice Pick Fiamma getting his at the 106th Street Barbershop. Forget about it. <laughs> or who can forget Sally the Fish getting the old piano wire across the throat? <laughs> if I remember correctly, it was a B flat. <laughs> So order real mob hits now if you know what's good for you. Just by dialing 1-800-BADA-BING. Real mob hits. Hey, it's real. Forget about it. I'm trying to. It's uh, 12 whatever. 12, look at that. 1243 at 560 WQAM. The jury, wait till you hear this. I'm waiting. The jury in the inquest in Diana's death said that her death was unlawful. Oh, oh indeed. God. Yeah. The jury in the Diana Princess of Wales inquest today returned a verdict of unlawful killing through negligent driving of her car and the following paparazzi vehicles. What did I tell you about the Brits? The coroner in the inquest into the deaths of Princess Diana and her boyfriend, Duty Fayed, earlier Monday told the jury their verdict didn't have to be unanimous. Coroner Lord Justice Scott Baker told the 11 jurors that he would accept a verdict if none of them agreed. The jury had been deliberating since April 2th. The British inquest into the August 31, 1997 deaths began in October after a decade of British and French police investigations and French court proceedings. The jury's role was to determine how the victims died. It had no authority to blame any individual. This, how about if we find out who killed Cock Robin? And what about Abe Lincoln? What do you think? Sure. Was John Wilkes in the booth? Is that what you're thinking about Abe Lincoln? He was stinking. I bet you he, he was. Yeah. The jury's first task following six months of testimony. You know, back in the day, you know, back when people used to wear all that heavy, uh, all those layers of clothing, you know? Yeah. And there wasn't really like a whole lot of deodorant. Or bathing going on. Oh, 
Jesus, can you imagine the aroma that could put you in a coma? I'm sure Man. it was a, a relative thing, like, you know how you get used to a smell? Yeah. If that was just the smell of everything, you probably didn't notice it. <laughs> right. Like uh, a family that all stinks, you know? Sure. They, they don't, don't but, even notice it. You know, like the people that you talk about that go to Woodbine, they must be oblivious to their own reek. Of course. See? So they probably don't notice anybody else's either, for that matter. The jury's first task following six months of testimony was to decide whether French investigators got it right within days of Diana's death when they concluded that her speeding driver, Henri Paul, was drunk. The second issue for the six women and five men was whether the paparazzi who chased the princess around Paris bore a heavy responsibility for the deaths. Baker had previously asked for unanimous verdicts on both deaths, but said a majority verdict could be accepted if the jury was dead, locked. In summing, up, in summing up on April 2th, Baker told the jury to consider whether Diana and Fyde would have lived if they were wearing seatbelts and whether Diana would have survived if she'd been taken to the hospital faster. Baker said there was no evidence that the British Secret Service or any other government agency had anything to do with the crash as Fyde's father has alleged. The inquest is the official British inquiry of the deaths of the princess and Fyde in that Paris car crash, August 3197. While they were fleeing paparazzi photographers, it began October 2. It's already cost more than $6 million of taxpayers' money. Another waste, but then again, you know, they're all family. They can't waste enough to make them happy, especially that freaking queen. More than 240 witnesses have given evidence, including Diana's close friends, Prince Philip's private secretary, the former head of the Secret Intelligence Service, and Diana's former butler, Paul Burrell. I wonder if Prince Philip's out of the hospital yet, you think? He had a bad yeah. chest infection. He was, he was ill in last week, Did Prince he, uh... Philip. Yeah. Hopefully, he said... I'm dying over here! Well, that'd be something to. if he died right on the heels mm -hmm. of... Uh, Orf with Charles their heads. Heston. What? Orf with their heads. Yeah, off with all those Brits, those Battenbergs, man, those stodgy Brits, that whole royal family. What kind of stupid people would put up with that crap? I guess even dumber than the people who put up with Bush. Right. 4,000-plus dead American soldiers in a war that was based on lies that's still going on. Well, it's not a, it's not a war that's going on. It's an occupation that's going on. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless... I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse his winning, 44. Mm. Leave the gun, take the cannoli, 36. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. During an appearance on Fox News Sunday, John McCain again repeated the false claim that Muqtada al-Sadr declared the ceasefire in Basra last week and said he thought the Iraqi army was performing well. It was al-Sadr that declared the ceasefire, not Maliki, said McCain. With respect, I don't think Sadr would have declared the ceasefire if he thought he was winning. Most times in history, military engagements, the winning side doesn't declare the ceasefire. The second point is, overall, the Iraqi military performed pretty well. The military is functioning very effectively, said insane McCain. He's a crazy person. As the blog Think Progress notes, it was members of Prime Minister Nuri al-Maliki's government who brokered the ceasefire, to which Sadr agreed. Experts agreed that Sadr's influence was strengthened rather than diminished by the Basra battle. It's not the first time McCain has aired when talking about Iraq. Last month, he wrongly said that Iran, Iran trains al-Qaeda members. McCain made the gaffe right in the middle of an official visit to the Middle East that was supposed to highlight his knowledge in foreign affairs, and there was Jew Lieberman whispering sweet nothings into his ear. Kill the Arabs, kill the Arabs. It is common knowledge has been reported in the media that al-Qaeda is going back to Iran and receiving training and we are, and are coming back into Iraq. That's well known, the 71-year-old Vietnam War veteran said. Pressed by reporters about allegations, McCain said, we continue to be concerned about the Iranians taking al-Qaeda into Iran and training them and sending them back. It was only after fellow Senator Jew Lieberman, who was traveling with him, whispered into his ear that McCain corrected himself. I'm sorry, the Iranians are training extremists, not al-Qaeda. Not al-Qaeda, I'm sorry, he said. He don't know what the hell he's talking about. 
He's just an old pasty face, that's all. Bomb, bomb, bomb. And that business about how he doesn't drink, yeah, likely story, okay? He looks like a pasty face drunk to me. Asked by Chris Wallace Sunday about the recent news in the New York Times that up to a thousand Iraqi soldiers had refused to serve, McCain implied the news was good because it showed improvement from past performance. Compare that to two years ago when the Army was unable to function any way effectively, McCain said. Look, I didn't especially like the outcome of this thing, but I'm convinced that we now have a government that's governing with some effect and a military that's functioning very effectively. Up in Mosul, where some of the best units are, they're functioning well. I've always said, Chris, it's long and hard and tough. We're paying a huge penalty for a failed strategy. I voted it hard against, and I believe the strategy can and will succeed. But a beat, but a boot, but about. And the public is worried about: Is uh, just is Jason Taylor going to be on Dancing with the Stars again? Isn't that what they're worried about? Yes. And how about the log for a Heat game, baby? Are they done yet or what? Uh, I think they got like five more games. Oh my God! Get it over with already, will you please? Just like that Panther season. My God! Same old crap. Stink to join out most of the year, and then they put on that big, meaningless run there close to the end. They get within a couple of points of a playoff spot, and then they collapse and lose three in a row to, like, girls' teams. And that's it. And now they uh, miss by several points, like eight or nine or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, nine. And another coach is going to get fired, and uh, bada-beep, bada-boop, bada-bop. And Al- Alan Cohen, man, they ripped him on Hockey Night in Canada. The other night. I ripped him an ass. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Of course, we knew that a long time ago. I bet you Geldy could run that team. Let's put Geldy in charge. Geldy and Denise Potman. At least get them both off the air anyway. Favorite line from a movie. We have 231 vote. What do we have on the first one? 231 and 659. 659 is 98.90. Like I said, we're not going to make no $1,000 altogether. We got a shot, I think, don't we? we got a yeah, we got shot a at shot. something? No, we don't. Yeah, we do. It's April 7th, don't you understand? Now, when is Pesach? Is that in five days? Is that this uh, coming up this weekend or something? I don't know. April look, I thought we wrote it down. We wrote it in. Did you write it? I don't know. Now, you're thinking about Purim. That must be it. Well, Purim is long over. Yeah, Passover, Pesach. Pesach is when? 19th. 19th. Oh, we still got some time. Thank God. Plenty of time to go out there and get the matzah and the Pesadiki candies, man. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that so many people, millions and millions, maybe billions of people will do things because somebody else told them to do it? Right. You know what I'm saying? Sure. All the, all the Getschkis, man, all the religious uh, uh, sheep out there, they do all sorts of things because, like the Hail Marys, you know, there was Fredo in the boat. Hey, Hail Mary, you know, fishing. And he couldn't, get off, he couldn't get the fish off the hook, even for old time's sake. Oh, that's, that's cute. That's bad. That's what the fish said to Tessio. Or the Tom, <laughs> can you get me off the hook? Tom, can you get me off the hook? For old times sake. For old times sake. Can't do it, Sally. And don't call me Sally. And don't call me Shirley either. And that is a good line. There's a lot of great lines in the oh, yeah. airplane. Like, I, I guess I picked a bad time to quit sniffing glue or something like that. Remember? Mm-hmm. Looks like I picked the wrong quit, uh, week to quit. Fill in the blank. Yeah, that's right. He had several of them. Lloyd Bridges. He's still dead, by the way. Isn't he? I think so. Uh-oh. You better Google it. Really? What about Mickey Bridges, who used to drive up in that uh, racetrack in Orlando where they had the flies, the house flies that were as big as elephants? Mm-hmm. You ever seen those huge flies that bite? The horse flies, yeah. Yeah, is that what they call them? Yeah, that's what Maybe that's called. why they had them at the horse track. Seminole Downs, I think it's a dog track now, or maybe isn't there at all. Outside of Orlando, in Kissimmee, I believe it is. I was there. Mickey Bridges was driving there, and Donnie Brainerd, oh, my God. Hey, Donnie, the rail's over there, baby. Way over there. About 100 yards to your left. 
and they had flies as big as your fist. No, not quite that big. Maybe half your fist. I'm serious. They, I never seen flies that big, and they bit, and they were, sure, they were nasty. They made a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are horse flies. What? Those are horse flies. Yeah. And why? Why are there like horse flies around horses? What does that I, mean? I think I don't know why they're called that. Maybe because they're biggest horses, or they like horses. I'm not sure. You I didn't name just, them. You think it was just a coincidence they were there at the horse track where there's lots of horses' asses around? No. Seminole Downs in Orlando, baby. Now we're talking. Oh! And Ben White Raceway. Now we're talking some real horse racing. So you're going to be at Gulfstream again on Friday. This is yeah. going to be like a regular thing. That's good. Somebody likes this, actually. Mm-hmm. Give and tell and try to sustain that run. Race two at Philadelphia Park, baby. One furlong to go. Jim Zybrush eyes. Jim Zybrush eyes being tested by captation. Jim Zybrush eyes still holding on to the lead. Captation full out. 70 yards to go. Jim's Irish eyes now begins to draw away. It will be Jim's Irish eyes who strides home a two-and-a-half length winner. Bet the five horse in the second race at Philadelphia Park, okay? Oh, too right. late. Too late. Now, back in my racetrack days, at Northville Downs, we used to play the off. We'd narrow down our choices to two choices, two horses that we like, especially in a trot, because trotters tend to break more than pacers. Okay. They break stride. And... My friend would go to the window, and I'd give him the money, you know, like whatever, mm-hmm. and tell him about 20 bucks to win on whichever one I And the, 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 you'd stand by the, uh, as close as you could to where the racetrack was, and you'd look out, and the starting gate in harness racing pulls away just before the start, like maybe just a fraction of a mile before the start. Okay. And so you could watch and see if one of the horses would break or was going to get a good uh, start from the gate. And you'd yell, four! You know, and he'd bet the four horse or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it used to work pretty good. Bet the off. See here, a little trick. Now you can't do that in thoroughbred racing because once the bell rings, you know, like that's it. When the starting gate opens, learn something new. What do you mean by that? Well, I didn't know about either one of those two things. Bet the off. You didn't know that the, the when the bell goes off, that the windows automatically shut. Well, I assumed, but I didn't know it was different in uh, harness. It sure is. Well, at least it used to be. I don't know whether that's still possible to do to play the off. It's just another degenerate thing, you know. All the degenerates, birds of a feather, uh, do stupid things together. And speaking of doing stupid things together, the Jerk Show coming up at 2. Wow. So oh, my best God. Amen. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The Sports Leader. The one to two hour. All right.
560 WQM. I think I'm going to start taking drugs right now. I'm going to start popping some heavy-duty pills. Like Rush. Works for him. He's still on the air. Right. Wait till you hear this story. Do I have to wait? Yeah, I'll make you wait. Are you going to tell me right now? No, I'll make you wait a couple, hour and a half. I'll tell you in the middle of the jerk show. In the middle of the stats. In the middle of the log, baby. And I'll play that music. Last week they kept playing that damn drum music, you know? That Did they? Whatever that crap was. Where'd that come from? Is it is in the uh, audio vault? You mean the drums? Yeah. Yeah. Coming up. Yeah. Boy, that thing is the biggest piece of crap, you know? Oh, there it is. Okay, that's enough. Let me say it again. That's enough. John McCain's temper is well documented. He's called opponents and colleagues schmidheads, a-holes, and in at least in one case, an effing jerk. But a new book on the presumptive Republican nominee will air perhaps the most shocking, angry exchange to date. Now, I can't read the word here, but the headline on this story, Nick Giuliano in the Raw story, McCain temper boiled over 92 tirade, called wife a C. I see, yeah. What's up with that? The Real McCain by Cliff Schechter, which will arrive in bookstores next month, reports an angry exchange between McCain and his wife that happened in full view of aides and reporters during a 92 campaign stop. An advanced copy of the book was obtained by Ross Story. Three reporters from Arizona on the condition of anonymity also let me in on another incident involving McCain's intemperateness. In his 92 Senate bid, McCain was joined on the campaign trail by his wife Cindy, as well as campaign aide Doug Cole and consultant Wes Gullett. At one point, Cindy playfully twirled McCain's hair and said, You're getting a little thin up there. McCain's face reddened and he responded, At least I don't plaster on the makeup like a trollop you. See you next time. Ooh. McCain's excuse was that it had been a long day. If elected president of the U.S., McCain would have many long days. It was long. The man who was known as McNasty in high school has erupted in foul uh, language tirades at political foes and congressional colleagues, more or less, throughout his career. And his quickness to anger has been an issue on the presidential campaign trail as evidence of his fury has surfaced. As Schechter notes, McCain's rage is not limited to the political spectrum, and even his family can't be spared the brute force of his anger. Schechter, who also blogs The Agonist, said in an interview, the anecdote is an early example of his uncontrollable temper. In the book, he outlines several other examples of McCain losing his cool and raises the question of how that would affect the McCain presidency. What should voters make of this pattern? In February 2008, Tim Russert succinctly described McCain on MSNBC's Morning Joe. A devilish grin spread from ear to ear as Russert, no McCain hater, leaned forward and spoke in a whisper, he likes to fight. Russert got it right, but the big question is whether McCain likes to fight. It's who, when, and how. He likes to fight. The exchange between McCain and his wife wasn't reported anywhere when it happened, Schechter said. In 1992, McCain's mention in the national media revolved mostly around his involvement in the Keating Five scandal, and only local reporters closely followed his re-election bid. McCain is well known for his rapport with the national media covering his presidential bid. He's jokingly referred to the press as my base, but Schechter said this incident was, a, was buried not out of fear of the Arizona sen- senator, rather was about uneasiness about how to get such a coarse exchange into a family newspaper, and he didn't fault the local press for not covering the incident. You can't say, see you next time, like in the Herald, you know, like in the Weekly Reader. Members of the media are squeamish covering stuff like this, so they let it go, Schechter told Ross Story. Back in 92, when people use naughty words, reporters don't know as much what to do with it. 
Much has changed since then. President Bush's reference to a New York Times reporter as a major league a-hole was reported in at least 47 newspapers during the 2000 campaign when the off-color remark was overheard according to a database search. And more than a dozen newspapers have reported Dick Cheney's recommendation that Senator Patrick Leahy F yourself. McCain and his aides have brushed off suggestions that his temper could impede his ability to perform these sometimes delicate tasks as of a president. The candidate was asked about his legendary temper last week on Fox News Sunday, where he cited his ability to work across the aisle while in the Senate. You can't scare people or intimidate them if you're going to reach an agreement with your colleagues and your contemporaries, and I've worked hard at that, and that's what the American people want, McCain said. The second thing is, if I lose my capacity for anger, then I shouldn't be president of the U.S. When I see waste and corruption in Washington, I get angry. I wonder if he says, see you next time. McCain's campaign did not return a call from Rostory seeking comment this morning. Schechter says McCain's anger is much more than a passion for the issues. One can only imagine what would happen if McCain were to try to squeeze that temper into the tight confines of diplomacy. The public certainly has to know what this guy might do as president, Schechter says. Examples like the ones in his book should surely worry people, quite frankly, and don't call me surely. Well, there's your president. There's your knucklehead. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice is also... Dyke. Phony dyke. Self-hating dyke. Nothing's a real one. Swillery. Yeah. Man Coulter. Mm-hmm. Laura Ingram. All the right-wingers all the time, all in the closet. Favorite line from a movie is, we got 249. Uh, it's not that great. It's not, well, we got over 900. We got 908, is that correct? Okay. Oh, yeah. 908. You need 92 and not going to happen. No we can chance. do it. No, you can't. We can do it. You will not do they're it. They're going to do it. They're going to come don't through. Give me this we. I don't want, I'm not in on this uh, ball. On behalf game. of George being back, they're going to come through. Oh, yeah, for me, since I can't. Yeah, George really cares about the poll so much. Th- that's why they're going to do it. You can do it! Yeah, since, since, since you said that, now one vote. See? Give them time to catch up. Remember, we're like, you know, two minutes. Oh, that's right. That's right. The delay, it'll take another, like, hour or two. Wait till about 4.30. Today is one of those days, you know, I don't know what it is, but I just have that feeling again. Yeah. Two o'clock, you know, packing a little bag, putting my pills in there and stuff. A couple of pair of underwears. Uh-huh. Getting in that Pontiac and just hitting the old highway, you know. Yeah. Every, every once in a blue moon, I get that hair up my ass, you know. Really? They have razors for those, though. No. Long tweezers. I don't use no tweezers on my yeah, ass. I'll say that right tongs. now. Just like them pliers. And I don't want no tongs near my <laughs> ass either. What about some nair? How are you spelling that, by the way? <laughs> no, no nair, no neat. Oh, and oh, and that picture you sent me, if that's Harry Potter, oh, yeah. and then, and, and, no surprise, the women are crazy about the way he looks. Yeah. Right. Oh, Hold my you. God, he is so grotesque. I wouldn't touch him with your tongue. Uh, God, <laughs> gross. Good. Well, Harry Pothead, he's supposed to be a sex pot now? Yeah, well. I've seen better looking things in my toilet bowl this morning, like, uh, what's his name said? Chicken egg. 251, you got two more, you got 910. Not going to happen. I, I, I'm sorry I even got into that. Why did I bring it up? What? 253. Yeah, <laughs> not going to happen. Mary Shaw says... The right-wingers certainly do like to exaggerate and twist things, especially when it comes to sex. For some reason, they love to worry about what consulting adults are doing in the privacy of their own bedrooms, and they want to dictate whom you can love and whom you cannot. So now, Reverend Donald Wildman of the American Family Association is accusing McDonald's of buying into the homosexual agenda. Why? 
because the fast food giant has contributed money to the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce, which promotes hate crimes and uh, the Employment on Discrimination Act, ENDA. Therefore, says Wildman, they're just dedicated to pushing the homosexual agenda. Wait a minute, this seems to imply that McDonald's is doing something wrong by supporting organizations that support non-discrimination legislation. In other words, Wildman is telling us that it's wrong to support equality for all our citizens. In other words, Wildman is telling us that discrimination is right and equality is wrong. I don't know why Mary surprised him that back in 76 when the Anita Bryant crap was going on. That was the whole thing. We have a right to discriminate. We can hang out with whoever we like. Yeah. Apparently, he believes that some people are worthy of the rights and freedoms guaranteed by the Constitution, but other people are not. And he believes that he's qualified to judge who is and who ain't. How arrogant is that? Mary wants to know. Apparently, he believes that gays and lesbians should be treated as second-class citizens because, for some odd reason, he feels threatened by the private bedroom activity of others. Apparently, he believes that any person or any corporation who supports fairness, equality, and love is buying into the homosexual agenda. But what is the homosexual agenda, Mary asks? It's the right to be treated the same as anybody else, to enjoy the same protections and freedoms as anybody else. The homosexual agenda is about equality and respect for all people, regardless of whom they sleep with. The Declaration of Independence states, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All men are created equal. All, not just the heterosexual ones, not just Stephen Strait. And those rights are unalienable, says Mary. That, quite simply, is the homosexual agenda as bought into by Thomas Jefferson. I bet you Tom Jefferson didn't know too many homos back in those days. He was busy screwing the AIDS. He was busy screwing the slaves. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he did. They said Abe Lincoln was, uh, you know, That's like they uh, said. gay. Had a little on the side. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a big, tall guy with that big, tall hat, so one can only mm-hmm. imagine. Not that I want to, especially with lunch coming up soon. Well, oh, there's the uh, Paris torch chaos. They just showed they're uh, running away with that torch. <laughs> oh man Woo! it's a crazy world that's all I can tell you so I'll call you from the highway you know like maybe in the middle of the week alright all right. see the funny part of it is you think I'm joking no I know you're not but what, what that, am I going to do about it that occasionally these things well I'm sure you had the same yeah especially in your case mm-hmm. 925 Chris you need 75 votes in f- f- 49 minutes right. no chance no freaking chance. Biggest names. The best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. I know that the Lord even loves Neil Rogers. I had a chick named Kay. One day she flew away. Tijuana, where the moon is blue. The moon is blue. But with our right-wing censorship, there are words that mustn't slip to truly tell you how I feel for K. So, if you see K in Tijuana, I'll see you in Tijuana too. Now, if you see K, tell her I
that fool, baby. We got a flat-footed tie. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse and take the gun or leave the gun, take the cannoli, however that goes. 48 apiece. And we only need 50 more votes. Get out of here. Are you crazy? We're going to do it. Not. We are. Not. Are. 281 and 659 is what? 659? We need 331. No, we need, we need 60 more. What are you talking about, brother? We need 331. Brother. Yeah, for, for that's right, for 990. No. Let me say it again. We had 659, right? But, like I said, we need uh, 341. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. When you start messing around with me and arithmetic, baby, you're messing with the wrong guy. We're still going to do it anyways. I know my numbers, okay? When I see a good number, believe me, like Stephen Strait. And I, I'm pissed off about some of those pictures they put on there, like an IMDB. Why do they do that? I, I don't know. You know, not everybody shares your tastes. You know, chicks and even a lot of guys, I understand, like the scruffy look. Those pictures are beyond scruffy. They're grotesque. Like somebody you'd find, like, sleeping in a dumpster somewhere. Or maybe somebody sitting on a street corner here. Spare some change, mister? Like that. But then what do you know about it? But, you know, Nothing. it's like you're typical for you to do that, you know? Right. You're the expert. You name right. the topic, right. George right. is the expert. Right. right, Like gay sex, George is the expert. No, I know all about straight sex. Well, good. I'll leave that to you and we'll leave Stephen straight. You know about straight sex? sex? How about Stephen straight sex? I don't know about it. You can tell John me. John Nichols in The Nation writes... Democratic pollster Jeff Guerin has been called upon to clean the mess created in and around Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign by the revelation that her former chief strategist, Mark Penn, was more interested in making money from foreign clients than doing right by American workers. The news that Penn was promoting free trade deals on the one hand while running Clinton's increasingly populist campaign on the other proved to be the last straw. Penn was finally moved out of the chief strategist position, even if he's still going to have the ear of some in the Clinton camp. Guerin, who began doing some work for the Clinton campaign last month, has now been given the job of restoring Clinton's tattered credibility when it comes to talking about trade policy in particular and economics in general. With his record of closer ties to labor unions and credible Democrats, Guerin has worked with the AFL-CIO, the American Federation of Teachers, and the Service Employees International Union, as well as progressive Democrats such as Russ Feingold, Dick Durbin, and Byron Dorgan, although he's also done work for the likes of Dianne Feinstein and Max Baucus, as well as General Wesley Clark's 2004 presidential campaign in all the delis. The new Clinton strategist is indeed more credible than the consistently compromising and compromised Penn. But Guerin doesn't arrive in the Clinton camp with a history of getting everything right when it comes to trade deals. Consider his commentary with regard to the North American Free Trade Agreement, a hot-button issue on the 2008 campaign trail. Back in 1993, when the Clinton administration was gearing up to promote the pact, Guerin told New York Times that Bill Clinton could close the deal by playing on the ignorance of Americans regarding trade policy in general, and NAFTA in particular. Citing polling data that said most Americans know very little about the pact, Guerin explained to the Times that the lack of understanding is definitely the Clinton's advantage because he still has a chance to frame the issue for people. The danger is that this ultimately gets framed as a treaty to ship jobs to Mexico. As the congressional votes on NAFTA draw closer, Guerin shifted to a new argument. Opponents of the deal, driven by fear and emotion, he told the Times, they feel their livelihoods are at stake. Backers of the agreement were more thoughtful. These supporters tend to deal with NAFTA on a more intellectual level, the pollster explained. As it turned out, Guerin was onto something, at least as far as the Clintons were concerned, when he talked about playing on ignorance as the best strategy for promoting NAFTA. Bill and Hillary Clinton certainly did that back in 93 when they aggressively lobbied for NAFTA by peddling a package of lies that seemed absurd at the time and only seem more absurd today. But Guerin was wrong about who was dealing with trade policy on an intellectual level. 
It turns out that the critics of NAFTA and the labor, farm, environmental, and human rights movements who said the deal would harm U.S. industries, depress wages in the U.S. and Mexico, undermine Mexico's farm economy, thus spurring immigration and encourage an economic race to the bottom that would eventually see both the U.S. and Mexico losing jobs to China, China and other Asian countries were the ones dealing with the issue on an intellectual level. They were so intellectual, in fact, that they got just about everything right. It was the supporters, including the Clintons, who relied on emotional messages with silly suggestions that it was reactionary, protectionist, and unduly nationalistic to oppose bad economic policies and ended up getting everything wrong. Now that Guerin is going to be plotting Hillary Clinton's approach when it comes to trade and other economic issues, let's hope he offers the candidate a sounder perspective than he was peddling back in 1993. And I'm sure Lou Dobbs is giving a sitting ovation to that. boy, Lou. Kill an illegal alien for Jesus, Lou. Or for fun. Frank says on a fax here, the greatest line from movie is the very last line from the movie, Cellular. After Chris Evans saves Kim, Kim Basinger and her family, she asks him if there's anything she can do for him. His line, don't ever call me again. Mm-hmm. Now, is that the movie where he's <laughs> driving in the car and yeah, she calls yes, on his cell yes, phone? Yes. That's yes. a good movie. It's all right. Don't ever call me again. You think? No. No. Nobody remembers that. Good movie. We both saw it and don't even remember it. What? We both saw it and don't even remember that no. line. That was good, though. Mm-hmm. 297. Uh-oh. All of a sudden, we're putting a big push on here. Three more for uh, 300. 956. You're not going to do it. Actually, you can do it because you only got 49 minutes for 46 votes. Told you. 44 votes. Told me what? We can do it. When you do it, when you get there, then tell we me. We 40 more so. votes. We got over 300 now? 301. Woo! 301, that means we got 960, baby. 302. 40 votes in 38 minutes. If Chris can do this today, man, we're going to tip our hat. We're not going to give him any money. Why not? Because we don't have any. Oh, okay. I don't have any. I'm, I'm strapped, man. Things are tight. I've got to send a ton of money to, to the uh, IRS, to Uncle Sam. You know, four times a year when you're an independent contractor, you've got to like, mm-hmm. send in your estimated uh, taxes. If I if I didn't have to send the IRS all that money like the last ten years, do you have any idea how much money I, how, much, how good a time I could have at Woodbine today? No, medium good time. A um, really good time. But nevertheless, that, that's the American way, baby. We got to pay to kill all these uh, damn schmatheads. They don't die cheap. No, future terrorists, baby. They're out there. They're going uh, to get us. If we don't get them over there, they're going to get us over here. Yadi 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 yadi. Paul Krugman writes, Green's Gone Wild in the New York Times today. He says, these days you hear a lot about the world financial crisis, but there's another world crisis underway. It's hurting a lot more people. I'm talking about the food crisis, he says. Over the past few years, the prices of wheat, corn, rice, and other basic foodstuffs have doubled or tripled, with much of the increase taking place just in the last few months. High food prices dismay even relatively well-off Americans, but they're truly devastating in poor countries where food often accounts for more than half the family spending. There have already been food riots around the world. Food supplying countries from Ukraine to Argentina have been limiting exports in an attempt to protect domestic consumers, leading to angry protests from farmers and making things even worse in countries that need to import food. How did this happen? The answer is a combination of long-term trends, bad luck, and bad policy. Let's start with the things that aren't anybody's fault. First, there's the march of the meat-eating Chinese, that is, the growing number of people in emerging economies who are, for the first time, rich enough to start eating like Westerners. Since it takes about 700 calories worth of animal feed to produce a 100-calorie piece of beef, this change in diet increases the overall demand for grains. Uh. Second, there's the price of oil. 
Modern farming is highly energy intensive. A lot of BTUs go into producing fertilizer, running tractors, and not least, transporting uh, farm products to consumers. With oil consistently above 100 bucks a barrel, energy costs have become a major factor driving up agricultural costs. High oil prices, by the way, also have a lot to do with the growth of China and other emerging economies. Directly and indirectly, these rising economic powers are competing with the rest of us for scarce resources, including oil and farmland, driving up prices for raw materials of all sorts. Third, there's been a run of bad weather in key growing areas. In particular, Australia, normally the world's second largest wheat exporter, has been suffering from an epic drought. Okay, I said these factors beyond the food crisis aren't anybody's fault, but that's not quite true. The rise of China and other emerging economies is the main, driving, the main force driving oil prices, but the invasion of Iraq, which proponents promised would lead to cheap oil, has also reduced oil supplies below what they would have been otherwise. And bad weather, especially the Australian drought, is probably related to climate change. So politicians and governments that have stood in the way of action on greenhouse gases bear some responsibility for food shortages. Where the effects of bad policy are clearest, however, is the rise of demon ethanol and other biofuels. The subsidized conversion of crops into fuel was supposed to promote energy independence and help limit global warming, but this promise, as was Time Magazine bluntly put it, a scam. This is especially true of corn ethanol. Even in unoptimistic estimates, producing a gallon of ethanol from corn uses most of the energy the gallon contains. But it turns out that even seemingly good biofuel, biofuel policies, like Brazil's use of ethanol from sugarcane, accelerate the pace of climate change by promoting deforestation. And meanwhile, land used to grow biofuel, biofuel feedstock is land not available to grow food, so subsidies to biofuels are a major factor in the crude food crisis. You following this? No. You might put it this way. People are starving in Africa so that American politicians can court votes in farm states. Oh, and in case you're wondering, all the remaining presidential contenders are terrible on this issue. One more thing, one reason the food crisis has gotten so severe so fast is that major players in the grain market grew complacent. Governments and private grain dealers used to hold large inventories in normal times just in case a bad harvest created a sudden shortage. Over the years, however, these precautionary inventories were allowed to shrink, mainly because everyone came to believe that countries suffering crop failures could always import the food they needed. This left the world food balance highly vulnerable to a crisis affecting many countries at once, in much the same way that the marketing of complex financial securities, which was supposed to diversify away risk, left world financial markets highly vulnerable to a system-wide shock. What should be done? The most immediate need is more aid to people in distress. The UN's World Food Program put out a desperate appeal for more funds. We also need a pushback against biofuels, which turn out to have been a terrible mistake. But it's not clear how much can be done. Cheap food like cheap oil may be a thing of the past. The biggest names. The best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. On your honey. One, two, three, bucks, four, five.
132 at 560 WQM. That's what we're doing. We're working, baby, to fill up that tank. Thanks a lot, Mr. President. Once again, he demand. So do you see that's around CNN? Of course not, because you're not watching it. Suspicious right. package in uh, Orange County in Orlando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suspicious package, baby. Come on now. Wake me up when they realize that it's nothing, all right? Oh, wait. I mean, don't. Don't wake you up? No. I wonder if Stephen uh, Strait's got a suspicious package. I'm sure you'll let us know. Yeah. I'll do some investigation, okay? Mm, I'll sniff around. The maestro who was conducting Luciano Pavarotti at the opening ceremony of the Turin Winter Olympic Games in 2006 has revealed that the ailing tenor lip-synced his performance. The late singer's manager said today the bitter cold of the outdoor event made a live performance impossible. Leone Maggiera, who worked with Pavarotti for years, said in a recently published book that the rousing rendition of the of Nessun Dorma, Let No One Sleep, was pre-recorded before the ceremony because it would have been too dangerous for him to give a live performance in that physical condition. I think I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start taping, uh, you know. Yeah, lip-syncing. Who's going to tell him? That's right. Majira said the tenor was already suffering from sharp pains months ahead of a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer in summer 2006 and using a wheelchair. Pavarotti died in September 2007. He was 71. The orchestra pretended to play for the public there. I pretended to conduct, and Luciano pretended to sing, Majira writes, and Pavarotti visto da vicino. vicino. Huh? Pavarotti seen from close up, which was published last month. It came off beautifully. No one was aware of the technical tricks. Maggiore writes that what the audience heard that night in Turin had been recorded by Pavarotti in a, studio, in a studio of his hometown of Modena a few days before the appearance in the Piedmont capital, which hosted the Winter Games. Modena. Never been there? No. York, what are you laughing about you know. when I say these things? Uh, no matter what it is, you ever been uh, there? I've been there? on this continent. No. Well, there you go. He's still dead, by the way, just yeah. in case you were wondering. Whatever. He's still dead. Oh, gee, he wasn't singing for real? I'm crushed, my image, yeah. 322, look at the way uh, Chris has brought us to the edge of greatness here. Told you. We got 981. You need 19 votes in 26 minutes. I wouldn't be too surprised if you pull it off. We're up to 25 now, so 16. And then stick it back on after you pull it off. Well, speaking of that, it wasn't a traditional 10-year anniversary president, but Laurie and Stephen Toussaint celebrated a decade of marriage last week by getting one another's names tattooed on their left arms. Why do they keep using That's not correct, by getting each other's names tattooed. Why does it always say that, one another? No one speaks English anymore. But am I right? Yes. Getting one another's names? You watch the news. That nobody says anything right anymore. I don't want to be a nitpicker because I hate nitpickers. I don't, I don't mind nose pickers. I don't want to see them, though. Thinking hers needed a little something extra, Lori Toussaint, one of the dozens of tattoo artists in Houston for this week's weekend's Ink Fest 2008, had a heart and some swirl embellishments Saturday. Now it's perfect, the 41-year-old said. I love it. Proving that two tattoos. Two tattoos. Proving that tattoos aren't just for bikers and other bad boys. A crowd of nearly 10,000, including many housewives and business executives, expected to flood the festival over the course of the weekend. Saturday's colorful crowd sported dragons, skulls, flowers, faces, wings, and webs on their arms, backs, necks, feet, and fingers. This was this past weekend. So put that in the past tense. Or not. Okay. Inkfest patrons had a chance to meet top artists, view thousands of tattoos, even add more ink or piercing to their bodies. It really is fun for the entire family. Years ago, tattoos were viewed as something only for a certain part of the population. Now they're totally mainstream, event spokeswoman Tammy Britton said. We've really got a diverse clientele and have more corporate-type people every year, nurses, firefighters, vice presidents, and companies of companies. 
Houston Roller Derby's Jules Edinburgh said that she'd been thinking about getting a tattoo for years but never saw anything and said that is until now. She calmly sat as Just Joe from Colorado Springs inked a colorful tribal raven across her upper back. Describing the pain as way less than childbirth, she flinched slightly as he applied purple ink to the outer edges of the image that will now cover, that will now cover the majority of her upper back. Fat! See, little tattoos, I don't mind, you know? Unobtrusive. Got to get over it, man. It's all the rage. Tattoo artist Jesus Jimenez, 32, said tribal arts and names are among the current trends in tattoos. Most people want something different, unique, he said. Artist Richard Benada Jr. from San Antonio designed a Dia de los Muertos tattoo for Tracy Daig, 38, who traveled from New Orleans, Inkfest with her husband. Dia de los Muertos. See. After wandering through uh, vendor booths, the two were drawn to Madonna's bright colors and one-of-a-kind designs. Anybody can get a needle and put ink down. But it takes a real artist to create something like this, Madonna said, showing sketches of a friend with skulls. Uh, the part of this chopped off. Skulls with daisies in the eye sockets and a dangling rosary. Stephen Toussaint, 42, a computer executive, encouraged people to express themselves. You only live once, he said, and there's so many more people out there getting tattoos, people who wouldn't have even considered this in the past. Now we get them just where the suit and tie will cover them. Or maybe where the uh, pantaloonies will cover them. Who knows? Who knows where they're hiding those damn things? In addition to which, how do you how do you get your uh, thing tattooed? they got to hold on to it. Oh, that's why, no. That's why they charge you extra. It's <laughs> true. Maybe Stephen Strait would like a tattoo on his. You gonna hold it for him? I'll hold it. You're gonna hold it steady. I'm, I'm holding it. Yeah. Gotta hold it straight, you know. I'm holding it uh, steady. Because <laughs> otherwise, yeah, it'll be at an angle. Oh no! As the worm turns, you want to bangle at an angle. The best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QA. The sports leader. Bravo, James Lipton hosts Inside the Viral Video Actors Studio. Our guests tonight created an internet sensation with what they ingested. Please welcome the two girls from Two Girls, One Cup. Girls, please tell me that in the cup was really just chocolate ice cream. Mm, oh, no. That was real. Mm. It's our art. We never fake it. Oh, oh God. Uh, now the questionnaire made famous uh, by the great Bernard Pivot. I won't ask you what is your favorite curse word because I don't think your mouths could be filthier. It's the interview you can't bear to watch on Inside the Viral Video Actors Studio. Girls, promise me there won't be a, a sequel. If you look up pseudo-intellectual in the dictionary, you'll see his picture, James Lipton, next to the word. Yeah, I don't get that. 144, so you don't get what? Him, the whole thing there. Well, it's a PBS thing, you know. It's uh, very uh, mm, dry. Very. So anyway, we did over a 1,000 on the uh, two polls combined. I told you, no problem. Told you. Kept telling Chris, no Swetsky, man. You're dealing with the uh, Pullmeister. I'm sorry, I won't uh, doubt you next time. 343 on the second poll here. So we got over 1,002 or whatever, one and two. My favorite line from a movie is, got a great battle going on here. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse, 58. Leave the gun, take the cannoli, 56. Say hello to my little friend, 40. 
Go ahead, make my day. Twenty-nine. I'm dying over here. I'm dying over here. Twenty. Bond. James Bond. Twenty. You fairy. You fairy. Twelve. Utes. What's a ute? <coughs> Eleven. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Eleven. Just walk away. Ten. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Nine. I'll have what she's having. Nine. Get the honey, Junior. Nine. Play it, Sam, and then play it again. Seven. Do you know who I am? I'm Mo Green. Six. I'll be back. Six. If you build it, they will come three. Life is like a box of chocolates, three. And it's not a tumor, only three. It's not a tumor. In fact, I really screwed up. I should have played that today, shouldn't right. I? Well, excuse me. Hello. This is Arnold. This is not a tumor. It's the one to two hour. Okay, Arnold. The fact, I'll say it again, I've said it a million times before, the fact that he's governor of California, of that humongous state where actually a whole bunch of people in, that is something. Can't say the word on the air. Charlton Heston is dead, by the way. Let's hear it for Chuck. I guess he won't be wearing them polyester blue pants anymore. That I think they were a pair of action slacks. <laughs> Uh-oh. What, what, was that? what happened? Something just fell down. Must have been your microphone. No, it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> no, something in the back just fell down. I hit the counter and something went uh, boop. Let me look. All right. What the hell was it? I don't know. All fall down. All fall down. I look back there. Brandon DeWilda's body was back there. Still somewhat warm. Hmm. That'll give me something to do after the show anyway. Late flights and lost bags to say nothing of higher fares are making air travelers grumpy, an annual survey of airline quality says. The industry posted declines last year in every area of the airline quality rating and rising fuel prices. There we go again. Safety problems and bankruptcy filings that shut down three carriers last week alone. The biggest change was the rate of consumer complaints up 60% overall. The rate more than doubled at U.S. Airways and Comair and rose for 15 of the 16 airlines included in the study. The exception was Mesa Airlines. They probably fly like from Phoenix to Yuma and back. On-time arrivals dropped for the fifth straight year with more than a quarter of all flights late. According to the survey, the rates of passengers bumped from overbooked flights and bags lost, stolen or damaged, also jumped in 2007. The trend is bad. It doesn't look like it gets any better, said Dean Headley, associate professor at Wichita State University and co-author of the study. The survey results mesh with the spate of problems that have beset U.S. carriers, starting with surging fuel cost, Headley said. ATA Airlines, Aloha Airlines, and Skybus stopped flying just last week because of financial pressures. Major airlines have slashed jobs and passenger amenities while adding fees for second bags, traveling with pets, and booking tickets by phone. It isn't surprising that people responded to higher prices and more frequent delays by complaining more, Headley said. Six airlines, Frontier, Northwest, SkyWest, Southwest, United, and U.S. Air, showed declines in every area in the survey, although Southwest still had the best on-time arrival mark at 80.1%. The Dallas-based carrier also had the lowest rate of consumer complaints, 0.26 per 100,000 passengers. Southwest. You ever fly Southwest? I haven't. Not that I can recall. Chris? Nope. They don't have any boarding passes. They don't have any uh, seat assignments here. I don't know how that goes. The boarding pass is just generic, and everybody runs on a plane and you know, pushes everybody oh, really? else out of the Festival seat. Festival seating? Yeah. Still, the airline hasn't been immune from problems. It's fighting a record $10.2 million fine from the FAA for continuing to fly dozens of Boeing 737s that hadn't been inspected for cracks in their fuselages. American Delta and United also recently canceled flights to perform unscheduled inspections of certain aircraft, and U.S. Airways found problems on some Boeing 757s after a wing part on one of its planes fell off during a flight. I think they're just nitpicking now, aren't they? Yeah, a little bit. 
The airline quality rating study compiled annually since 1991 is based on transportation department stats for airlines that carry at least 1% of the passengers who flew domestically last year. The research is sponsored by the Aviation Institute at the University of Nebraska at Omaha and by Wichita State University. The other airlines in the study were AirTran, Alaska, American Eagle, Atlantic Southeast, Continental, JetBlue, and Mesa. Among the study's conclusions, more than a third of Atlantic Southeast Airlines' flights were late, the worst on-time performance in 2007. The airlines also bumped passengers more often at a rate of 4.5 per 10,000 passengers. JetBlue and AirTran were far ahead of their competitors in avoiding bumping passengers from flights at 0.02 and 0.15 per 10,000 passengers, respectively. AirTran had the best baggage handling rate, and American Eagle ranked last in baggage handling with 13.55 mishandled bags per 1,000 passengers. You ever see? You ever watch the way they throw the bags around, like when you check in at the counter? Oh yeah, like with contempt. Yeah. Like they really hate those bags. Like boy, I sure hope there's nothing valuable in there because uh oh. Oh, like they. I think they're hoping there is. I wonder what fell down. Feldeen. When I hit the uh, board there, when I was talking about Chuck Heston, everybody was talking about. I think that was God's way of punishing me. Something fell down. Did you? Could you hear it? Yeah, I heard it. Did you? Like a crash. Oh, and speaking of Crash, so uh, Chris just saw that movie a few nights ago. Oh, Crash? Yep. Very good. Mm-hmm. Can't believe it. He said he really enjoyed because Ryan Phillippe was in it. I wanted to talk like He did not talk like that in that movie, okay? Right. That's why it was Are you good. knocking him again? Not again, just still. 358. Boy, we went way over 1,000, all told. That's our second poll today. For those who tuned in late. We don't, want, we don't want the audience to think we only did 358 votes on the poll. Then they'd be calling with spy reports to Tootsie, Footsie over there, you know. He's still looking for the best blogger. I wonder if there's a way that we could get a list of, like, all the different places he's put on there. Oh, man. And then, we, and then we could just do the poll one day, which right. is the way you should do it, you know. You know, if uh, if he had other fans as devoted as you, he could really uh, have a living there, have an audience. Hey, listen, somebody's got to take care of old Tootsie, no, you know? No, they don't. In other words, are, are you making an executive decision right now? That no, you know, no, talk absolutely about not. I'm just making Chris, fun. Chris, just like Zach, George is starting to play butch yeah, boss. I'm making a fun-of-you decision. So, in other words, you don't want me to mention Footsie uh, again? That's not what I said I at all. I can't help listen, it. It cracks me up to no I end. I can't help it because I'm so... I don't know what the word is. I'm just so fascinated with the fact that he's continuing uh, to do this with each one of his polls. His idea of a poll is just to take uh, two things and keep uh, doing every day the same poll. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would be like if we have ten choices on our poll, so right away there, automatically there's enough for five days. I, I don't get it. I just don't understand. And you're trying to tell me now the trend came out on Friday. And they went up a little bit, but I have a feeling that was rush because it was a really heavy Julio trend. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. wasn't all that great for us. And the guys across the street did nothing either. So it was, you know, this all sports radio. And now that we've got 15 sports stations that we can divide up that little, that little sliver of pie into mm, even tinier slivers, now we can really do it. Yeah. I guess you've never had that banana cream pie, that caramelized banana cream at Ruth Chris for dessert. I might have. I'm not sure. I got news for you. If you would have had it, you'd It's been remember. a long time. It's not one of those things. That, that, that would be like me saying, I might have had sex with Stephen Strait, but I can't remember, you know. Well. If I would have had it, I'd know it. I'd remember it. I'd think about it. I'd ponder it. And I'd want it again. I think. 
Unless maybe he's got dingleberries, you know, on his ding. Isn't that where you find dingleberries? Yeah, on your dongle. <laughs> oh, sorry, those are dongleberries. Yeah, dongleberries on your, uh-oh, dongle. <laughs> Doggone. Well, you are, I don't know. What? The, the fact when you told me that you ran into Joe Bell at the... Uh, ran into Joe Bell, it was prearranged. He heard me talking about it on the radio and said uh, he was going to show up. Oh, I see. I've been promoting the event for like a couple months And what did uh, he do? Just now. watch? We watch, yeah. He's a fan of uh, women's roller derby and has been for a long time, which surprised the hell out of me. I've been promoting now, the last for break months. is only three and a half minutes, Chris. Is that what you're telling me? That's so what it looks like to me. Boy. Actually, mighty... uh, What? Well, if actually, it, less if than that. Get... It's what? It's less than that, actually, because uh, that first one is not yeah. in our system. So it's only at 242. Well, well, now you're telling me it's a damn good thing that I asked. It must be my psychic powers again. It's only 242? Mm-hmm. You noticed the dead air? No, I noticed it all. <laughs> well, it's both a combination of shock and also stalling to fill in an extra, like, a gap, you know? Oh, it's a in the Union gap. Let's play some music for crying out loud. 242, so what, what's all going to do now? Names. The best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The Sports Leader. It's Dinks in Miami Town. At 560 WQAM. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Rambo 4 and 5. <laughs> How are you? John Rambo still alive. I wanna make movies four and five. My life ain't going great. Planet Hollywood's broke. Unfortunately, I speak like I had a stroke. First blood came in '82. That's when I hurt my penis and it never ever grew. Rambo two was in '85 late. Uh, Rambo three was in '88. Shooting and looting and shooting. My gun. I did not make this movie with my son. Uh, his name is Sage. He was in. Rocky Five and Daylight, the tunnel movie. A little bit of cash is what I need. I gotta get a loan from Apollo Creed. I gotta have another hit movie. Or a Broadway show like Dinner He. I guess nobody ever saw Copland. It was stupid, I guess I understand. My whole life is about to cave in. All I got left is Jennifer Flavin. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. I need to make Rambo 4 and 5. <laughs> Check it out. So call me up. I really need a script. I can do dialogue or keep it zipped. I like comedy, action, adventure, and drama. The only thing I will not do is have sex with a llama. So give me a break, for goodness sake. I used to be on Oprah. Now I can't get on Ricky Lake. Right now I got a one-man show in Poughkeepsie. Basically, I'm an unemployed gypsy. A little bit of cash is what I need. I gotta get a loan from Apollo Creed. I gotta have another hit movie. Or a Broadway show like Better Heat. I guess nobody ever saw Copland. <laughs> it was stupid, so I understand. My whole life's about to cave in. All I got left is Jennifer Flavin. 
And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I need to make Rambo foreign fire. Uh, how are you? Absolutely. Bye, bye, bye.